From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya, it's episode 61 and we're talking about science fiction film Dark City. It came out in 1998. In this episode we'll reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of the narrative and the film language plus a deep dive into a specific piece of science that the filmmakers were proposing. This was directed by Australian filmmaker Alex Proyas. Uh, he also kind of came up with the story. There's a bit of controversy around that in America. Uh, and Lem Dobbs and David S. Goya wrote the screenplay. So turn back now, if you haven't seen this movie, and go watch it because this is your spoiler warning. Warning. Warning, warning. Warning. <laughs> warning. That's good. Yeah, warning. and then and then it's like fire warning, 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 warning. Have a listen to us because yeah, we're come gonna back. talk all about everything in this film. Please come back and listen to episode sixty one once you've watched Dark City. Dark City is about a man who struggles with memories of his past, which include a wife that he cannot remember. I'm sure a few of you have wished that. <laughs> and a nightmarish <laughs> world where no one ever seems to remember anything either. Or they don't want to remember anything, maybe, sorry. So what was your number one takeaway from Dark City? Number one takeaway from Dark City was that Dark City is actually the sequel to Mary Poppins. Okay, that's a bit odd. All right. What's the connection? The connection here. You've seen Mary Poppins. Yes. She floats around in dark, big overcoat. Yes. She bends reality with her will. Yes. And she abducts and absconds with (laughs) humans. Yeah, okay, okay. She was clearly the scout. For the strangers. <laughs> For the strangers. And this is the sequel. This is the follow This is what happens after Mary uh, Poppins leaves. Right. She disappears off. She just takes a part of humanity with her at the end of and Mary then, Poppins. And then, yeah, the, the strangers came along and, <laughs> and nicked off with a whole bunch of people. Fair enough. Yeah. That's what it is. So, yeah, Dark City, sequel to Mary Poppins. They're not the strangers. They're the Poppins. They're the Poppins. <laughs> yes, indeed, sir. And uh, Mark... Was this hope warning or experiment? I found this one hard to classify, and you you might think the same, but and it'd be interesting to know if anyone out there listening understands or or has a point of view on on maybe is this a hope warning experiment? To me, I'm going to go experiment because basically you took a portion of humanity, you put them on this uh, fake reality planet, spaceship, whatever the hell it is dark city and um you know like you're taking memories away from people i don't know each night every couple of nights whatever you're rearranging the way the world works and humanity kind of keeps ticking along um i mean it definitely has a hopeful ending because our main character and we have warned this so stop now (laughs) but uh yeah our main character does you know, overcome this issue, you know, of what the aliens are doing to him. But 
and, and what they're doing to everyone, and then he's going to take control. So there's a hopeful ending, but I think that, to me, it's an experiment because it's kind of like the what-if of humans in this scenario, this actual alien experiment, and how the humans react. And I think until we get John Murdoch, <laughs> the main character, coming along and, and sort of maybe accidentally being awakened, that then the experiment is broken and there is that hopeful side of it. So, yeah, I, mean, I did find this one hard to classify, but I did find this mm. one... Not, I don't think it's as clean cut. It'd be great if Alex Proyas could come on and tell us whether he thinks it's a hope warning or experiment. He's a relatively local fella. I'm sure we can get a he's hold of him. He's in Sydney. He's doing an awesome thing at the moment where he's developing like a special effects company for science fiction film, basically, but for nice. all filmmakers. But nice. I think it's targeted for sci-fi. They've got great visual effects dudes working there in his company over in Sydney. And it's all about taking uh, filmmakers the opportunity to like, you know, if you want to film on Mars in the morning, you can shoot. And then in the afternoon you want it on, you know, in Sydney, you, you, you'd be able to shoot that all in the one studio. So again, sort of like real time digital rendering of settings. Nice. Yes. Yeah, so I think, I think we've spoken a bit about that back in the 2001 episode. That yeah. Some of that technology. That, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing of course is filmed in Sydney, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, sharing so. some of the sets with The Matrix. Yeah, well, that does not surprise me. <laughs> a, a year later, there are some crossovers in the, the themes and the story in this that uh, a lot of people have noticed. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting, isn't it, that this film has, uh, like, it, it has that same feeling of The Matrix. Did you feel that? Yeah, my wife definitely pointed that out a couple of times. Like, it, it almost like you could watch this and go, is this kind of copying The Matrix? But it actually came out a year earlier. A year earlier. And also, I mean, it's not the same because obviously they're aliens. But I must admit, and that's what I want to ask you, is like, what your first impression? But before I ask you, like, I remember I watched this after watching The Matrix, but I'm talking like maybe I watched this in 2001 and or 2002, somewhere around there. So it's a couple of years later than when it came out. And... I, I kind of almost, I wasn't confused by the two plots of this and The Matrix, but it was almost like, oh, it's sort of like The Matrix. Mm. But then now looking at it and going, oh, it came out a year before The Matrix. And it's got some similar kind of connections to The Matrix. So what was your first impression? My first impression was uh, it was freaking awesome. Yep. And certainly the reason for that is I watched it before The Matrix. Yeah. And at the time I was... Uh, playing a lot of role-playing games, tabletop, mm -hmm. Dungeons yep. & Dragons. Uh, in fact, it was World of Darkness, mm. uh, which by White Wolf, if any listeners have, have dabbled in such I'm things. I'm sure they have. But it, it shares similar, as you, as you can tell, it's called World of Darkness. And it's a dark city. There are some similar themes involved. Mm. So mm. It, was, it was very exciting. And again, it was a film that really I loved because it, it went... It went full in on its concept. Yeah. Like it had the strangers, but it went right early on. You know, superpowery type effects. Yeah, and mystery and it, like it. It's very easy for a lot of these sort of films to have a good hour of. It's indistinguishable from just a cop drama. Yeah, you know, because yeah, maybe yeah. it's budget, maybe it's imagination, maybe it's um, how they managed to get producers on board. I don't know. Mm, yeah, but a lot of these sort of films, they you know, they'll. They'll play it out as something really ordinary and then they'll pop in a couple little bits at the end. 
And I love this one because right in the first first 15 minutes or so, mm. there he is. He's using his magic powers and you go, oh, that's really cool. This is not just an ordinary, not just a film noir detective story. Yeah, and it's a good point actually what you're saying there because you do, when the guy gets his, um, when the stranger gets his head sliced off, I think that's only about the 30-minute mark and you see, you know, this alien bug creature spider thing crawl out of his brain. Mm. And that's only at about the 30-minute mark, which which is what you're saying. So there's a lot revealed quite early in Dark City. Yeah, you, you, you're kind of... You're left on the hook for a couple of the mysteries, mm. but there's certain parts of it that it's just... They're just revealing straight, straight away. So how did the movie make you feel? Well, this was kind of a bit creepy to me, this movie. I think it's a bit scary. Um, and it, it made me feel like when you realise... I think when you th- think about the deeper world-building exercise of Dark City that we have... Like, at some point, these aliens have taken a big portion of humanity into space. Like, it's creepy. That is creepy, isn't uh, it? Like, and also, the humans don't remember. They don't, they don't remember even, like, Earth. They, don't, they just think that this is reality. And the film, what you're saying, like, the film doesn't kind of just straight away, it's a detective story for an hour, but then, bang, no, we're aliens on a planet. You know, like, this movie kind of sets up pretty quickly that, no, we're in a bit of an altered reality. And um, I do remember when I first watched this, I was kind of a bit confused about the reality that we were in, like, you know, until the end of the film, like, it took me a bit to get it. This viewing, second viewing... Uh, I, I had a bit of better understanding straight away. Oh, no, okay, you know, like there's aliens and stuff. And, and I did actually, even before tonight, sort of start watching it even again. I just sort of had it on in the background when I was kind of writing up some of my notes for tonight. And it's, but yeah, how did, how did my, oh, oh, it creeped me out the thinking that, yeah, there's a huge bunch of humans that have just been picked up and taken into space. They don't remember anything. And then also they're constantly being wiped and restarted, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. Um, and what, was this the first time you'd watched it you, or did you see it way back in 98? Well, I, I saw it back, this is about the fourth or fifth time I've watched this film. Okay. Did you uh, see it at the movies? I saw it at the, yeah, the cinemas, yes, yeah, yeah. With, with my buddies. Oh, yeah. It was very, uh, like I said, it was, it was very full of sound. Yeah. There's, you don't quite get it on the TV screen, but it's no. one of these ones with, you know, when they're the tuning special effect happens you yeah. get like sort of waves of bass happening and things mm. it's very good. and what was the reaction like with you and your buddies back in 98 i said it was, we were we were gobsmacked we we're like just this is best movie ever this, well i don't know <laughs> we said that, that was the matrix and well this is still um, before the matrix yeah just right? till dawn we're kind of yeah, yeah but at the time yeah this was definitely like well this is we've not seen a film mm. like this yeah yeah and it's true until the matrix came along afterwards, which I think managed to do it um, with more pizzazz, yeah. I suppose, uh, or more mainstream flair. I don't mm. know how you want to sort of say it, but it was, it was, it was a bit slicker. Yeah. Dark City, it, it starts to explore some of these concepts like, you know, who are we really? Are we just these thoughts? But the good thing about having watched it now about you know, four or five times, whatever it is, you you can see uh, you can take a step back from some of that immediacy and do a bit of a, a bit more of an analysis of what the story mm. is and, yeah. and what imagery is being displayed and so forth. So it was it was great. Cool. And speaking of the first times and impressions, uh, what was your favourite scene? First Ooh. time and this time, tell me. Uh, 
Uh, I think first time I liked when he uh, had the scene where they they actually reveal what the aliens are doing when they change it. So there's a moment where they do the tuning. That's what they call it, right? So the tuning is happening. Shut it down. (laughs) It's time. And they they do the tuning and it's kind of like then you, you actually see what happens. And so to begin with, it's quite abstract because you have this massive face kind of comes out opens up and then there's a huge clock now it's straight away i mean i sh- we watched metropolis i was gonna say it's like, immediately there's, metropolis. <laughs> there's a lot of metropolis in this film i mean uh, oddly online and again it'd be great to speak to the filmmaker about this but on- online they talk a lot about um you know connection to the twilight zone and stuff but to me i'm like oh, there's a lot of metropolis no, here it's, like it's like seriously like there's buildings and yeah. the the way they all march into yeah. the, the I mean, big machine. Yes. And the fact they've got a big machine. A big machine. Which is this <laughs> sort of gothic, almost, you know, German impressionist face which opens up to reveal clockwork. Yes. It's, and that's, um, that is the Metropolis. I robot. think when you, yeah, like you and I, we only did Metropolis a few episodes. Go have a listen to it. It's great. It's a classic. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And, um, you know, like you, you could see Metropolis in this movie mm. to me, like the the way the building. So when there's that reveal and the twisted building kind of grows out, uh, and then on top of that, you, you they go to this apartment with the doctor, and they, you know, there's the poor people, the working class people talking about the shift, and they're at a little tiny table, and they sit down and they're eating, and then of course it's midnight, and they pass out, and then they, you know, they come in, and the doctor like ejects them and he says some smart ass stuff to them like oh you know maybe by the time you wake up this will be a much bigger room or you might have maids quarters you have a maids quarters that's it and 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 all that like i i thought that was a really cool kind of moment in the film then i think now watching it this time a more or like i still liked that again but i also liked the way the strangers were and so the scenes where the strangers were confronting John Murdoch or the Doctor. It and again when you think about the Matrix, like it's funny, like they kind of almost they're not as robotic as Hugo Weaving, Mr. Smith, but mm. there's connections to that kind of very creepy villain that isn't human. You know, like they're 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 very abstract to compare to a human. Dare I bring in another German um, silent film, Nosferatu? <laughs> yes, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're basically no, you, you can you all <laughs> dare <dressed>. accepted. <laughs> they're all dressed exactly like Nosferatu. Yeah, yeah, they are, aren't they? And there's even a you know the the special guy like Mr. Agent Smith, Agent the, Smith, yeah, the one who takes on John Murdoch's correct memories, if yes. you like, of being a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> which, which again means that this he's starting to vary from the the mold. Yeah, yeah. Which, then, is, which is like Agent Smith taking his plug, like his ear plug yeah, out, isn't it? Like because he he's like sort of changes a bit. He seems more empathetic. Like, he does, yeah. Like or sympathetic, I yeah. suppose it would, should be. So, what about is sci-fi in this film? What What did you like? like well, the th- the thing was, I think, which we you said at the start, and I think we're on the same page here, is that the world building idea that this concept of humans being taken and and i think for any writer out there again like i'm a writer and you're a writer it's a great uh example here in dark city that you're not starting the film with oh once upon a time you know humans were taken out of there you know what are they like we're in to the world and the the assumption is we're on earth 
right? Like that's yeah. the trick. That's sort of like the trick. We're at some point in time, and the, and the filmmaker is using the effect of, you know, oh maybe it's some sort of nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, nineteen fifties, roughly weird abstract place on Earth, right? Mm. Like, and so because at the start it's it's a slow pan down from the stars onto this cityscape. And why I'm saying 1930s, 1940s, maybe 1950s, I don't know, because you, you see the trains and you see the cars and you see the way people are dressed and it's it's appropriate to some and, era And the film that. style is, is that, yeah. you imagine Humphrey Bogart sitting with a you could. Panama hat down, yeah. smoking a cigar, saying, she's Correct. a terrible dame. Yes. And yeah. interesting enough, Alex Proyas' version has no voiceover at the start. Yeah, I know. I've right? that's the one so, I saw yeah, so, as well. So you'll find that the commercial version has a voiceover, which, again, you and I talk a lot about. It's like, do we need that? And the voiceover on the commercial version pretty much says, oh, an alien species um, which was dying out. And it's Keith Sullivan. It's the yeah. doctor saying it. It was dying out. Something along the lines of, like, this alien species was dying out and they decided that they wanted to live on and they thought one way would be uh, sorry, they discovered a species called human, and they thought one way would be to examine that, and that's all it is. Like it's mm. not a, it's not an incredibly long piece of voiceover, but there is a voiceover. But Alex Proyas' version is not that, so it's just a pan no, down from the stars. I'm surprised that because the, the producers basically came in and said, oh, people aren't going to get it." Yeah, get and it. but within within that first twenty minutes or something, uh, Doctor Schreiber says a, a short version of that yeah. anyway, and then yeah. about. Uh, you know, 45 minutes, an hour sort of in, he holds a, you know, Shreber then gives them a much bigger version of it. Yeah. And then he holds the knife to the other's throat and basically gets a complete rundown. Yeah. And so it's it's not like you're not going to get it. No. Like really. But, but I think it, you and I have talked about this. Like, I don't know, it seems like commercially they some people need that set up or I something. I guess it depends yeah. on who they're thinking their audience is. I mean, they think their audience is the casual summer viewer like who go, yeah. who turns up to the cinema and at that time they go, oh, what's on now? Yeah. Dark City. Let's go <laughs> yeah. watch that. Let's go watch it, yeah. Uh, as opposed to someone who goes, I've heard there's this really cool sci-fi film yeah. which is kind of a bit interesting and dark and experimental. Space Brains talked about it. Let's go watch that. <laughs> yeah. uh, those people will, you know, like, not have a problem. Mm. But it seems, I think in the film, when you watch a lot of film, and I guess now even with TV, that opening introduction, written code or voiceover, um, you know, quite often is maybe just about expanding it for a bigger audience. Um, it, well, it's funny. My wife and then, and I... the, but, but then it, the question is, is that the problem with Star Wars? Do we need that for Star Wars? Well, do we need the opening credits? The, the, well, they become iconic, right? But like, do we need them? Well, my, my wife and I were talking I think about we this <laughs> as, we, as we always do because when I watch a lot of these films, if they have uh, an opening text, I cover my eyes. I, I cover it so yeah, I, don't I don't see don't it. see it. And then I go back and watch it after watching the film. Mm. And we were talking about this going, you know, like there's sort of um, a couple of films like The Terminator doesn't really do much of an intro sort of thing. We're just no. sort of into the world. But then we said... The Witcher, not a science fiction film, I know, but we watched that first episode of The Witcher just going, what the living crap is going on here? Yep. Like, the only reason we went to episode two is because, well, first of all, it was kind of a fantasy with movies and mon- magic and monsters, and we like that. But other people had said that it's it's good. So we watched episode two, and most of the way, you know, episode two, we went, oh, okay, I'm starting to get this now. I'm starting to get yeah. a feel for it. 
but we're sort of thinking could could the witcher did they go a little bit too far in in throwing you into the midst of and literally because mm. it's a time chopped thing the yeah. midst of something with no explanatory at all where you're just going what the hell you know, but, but but i think and you and i have talked about the witcher a few times i think the witcher overcooked that first episode i think they told us too much i mean i can tell you from learning from script writing teachers and stuff like that like way back there's an expression like show don't tell mm. and the witcher didn't do that they were telling us through oh, well, one character talking to another they were oh, giving us exposition scene, yes. you know and so because I was the same, like my wife and I were actually also the same with The Witcher. Like that first, that whole scene in the castle and stuff. Like, and I, and I even look back, like I really enjoyed The Witcher. I can't wait for season two now, mm. right? Like I'm, it's coming, I think December or something they're saying. And um, and they're, they're also saying Henry Cavill has signed on like for five seasons of it all. <laughs> Whatever, which is exciting. I liked it. I liked the first season, but that first episode, like, I mean, honestly, like, we were just going, oh, I don't know if we should keep watching. And and I think if I break it down, it's not about acting, camera, anything. It's just like, why did they have to explain so much? Why did they feel that so much was needed? You know, and I think in a way, Dark City, you know, I mean, this is what Alex Proyas is trying to do, like. You don't really need the voiceover because part of it is that they are actually trying to trick us like the people in Dark City. You know, yes. like you shouldn't know. You shouldn't really know. And I mean, I go to Christopher Nolan's Memento, right? Like Memento is about a guy with a five minute memory and therefore the film is told in five minute segments in reverse chronological order. Some people hate it. I reckon it's a brilliant film. It launched Nolan's career. and But the thing with that is like, he, it's obvious why he chose to do that. He chose to do it to give the audience the feeling of having a five-minute memory. So you sit there and you watch Memento and you're, you're confused. Yes. Because <laughs> so, the guy, Lenny, Guy Pierce is confused. Like, he's confused the whole time in the film because he's got a five-minute memory. Can you imagine what a five-minute memory would be like? You know, like, and that's the premise of the movie. And here, it's the same thing. Like, this is the world we're in. It's really weird. It's strange. Every time, every night at midnight, everyone passes out because the aliens are doing their experiment. Yeah, you're going to wake up feeling confused about things, you know? And so you shouldn't, the audience shouldn't really expect things to be spelled out. But I think when you start talking about $30 million films, $40 million films, $200 million US Hollywood films, they start to get a bit worried <laughs> that if people are having to think too much with their popcorn in their mouth yeah. that they might walk out of the cinema and tell all their friends that I didn't get it, right? So they they want to they go, no, you need to sort of give them something to get the story going. And in, I think that's day. what happens. So, I, I mean, that's my experience with it. So um, you've made a couple of short films and I know that one thing you can do with short films, stay with me on this one, mm. Enter them into film festivals. <laughs> we can. Uh, and if you had a science fiction film, where would you be able to enter that? I would enter it into the Space Brain Sci-Fi Film Festival, Surrey. Oh, so would I. The... <laughs> Except for probably you and I are not accepted, are we? Or are we accepting them? Well, no, we've actually got <laughs> we've got plenty of entries, so we don't have to put oh, anything in. Okay. Otherwise, it'd just be you know showing our yeah. films. No, we're... but I want my film in there. Maybe my film is sci-fi. Well, just, you know... I'll corrupt. I'll sleep with the judges. Silence. (laughs) (laughs) 
Can I bribe the judges? I can bribe myself with uh, chalky bars and yeah, ice cream. I, have... I like ice cream. But anyway, the, the entries are open now. You can go to Film Festival, filmfreeway.com. Jeez, all the weeks. Yeah. yeah, Film Freeway. You can hit up spacebrains.com.au, socials. We are today officially on Screen West's event calendar Ooh, if you're nice. very local. So I shared that online earlier today. Um, so we're up there with Revelation and the other WA festivals, which Cine- is only a couple Cinefest. of them. Cinefest. Cinefest Oz yep. is coming up in a couple of months. Yeah, so we're up there, which is awesome. But yeah, if you're Mandra or Australia or international, you, there's all those categories available. So yeah, create a sci-fi, get it made and submit. Yeah, feature film love. or short film. To watch it, we would love to watch it, and Let's get in there. you're invited to come along and uh, you know watch what the, the talent the is and meet other film and gala event May 21 in 2022. Yep, it's a Saturday. It's here in sunny Mandra. It is. Although I mean, today wasn't terribly sunny. But that's, that's <laughs> May is a different time. It yeah. will be a beautiful. It'll sunny be a day. beautiful sunny day. We'll have a red carpet. There'll be photographers. There'll be a videographer. There'll be stadium seating and and beautiful sound and a big screen to have your videos on you. Maybe Alex Proyas will come. It's look, you know, it's I possible. Who I knows? I don't want to link <laughs> who our surprise guests are at this stage. No, but it could be. Any one of a number of well-known names. It could be. It, it really could it, be. It could be David uh, S. Goya or, or it could... <laughs> Keith Sutherland, you know, it Keith could, Sutherland's it, in Dark City. Why not? Maybe we can get him over. Maybe. Who knows? Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Apparently more, he's doing a lot of music now anyway. More announcements later. So Dark City was directed, as we keep saying, Alex Proyas, Australian sci-fi. Now, look, you probably heard of iRobot. Will Smith. We probably need to do that as an episode, don't we? As well. Yeah. Um, the Knowing. Have, did you have you ever seen The Knowing? Nicholas Cage. Cage. Yeah, that's Alex Proyas as well. The Crow. Time, yeah. The Crow. Right. Oh, not did not he as the Crow. Yeah, Alex Proyas did The Crow. That's because well, my wife actually said, "Oh, this looks a bit like the. It sort of has yeah. a feeling like The Crow." Same guy. Okay. <laughs> there you go. And in fact, um, David S. Goya wrote The Crow too. Oh, okay. Yeah, just so you know. Um, so the same guy that wrote the one of the screenplay writers also wrote the Crow too. Um, and what was I also going to say? Gods of Egypt or something was Alex Proyas's last film a couple of years ago, twenty sixteen. Like a bit of a fantasy myth film thing, big creatures. Lots gods, of special effects. Egypt. Gods, something like that. I don't oh, know. It's not very science fiction. Yeah, so not not it. so much science sci-fi. No, but yeah, the Crow. Dark City, uh, iRobot, of course, and The Knowing. So all sci-fi. And recently he's working at a, a production company, his production company in Sydney, which are deliberately about special effects without kind of changing locations. And they've made a couple of sci-fi films in that setting mm. to kind of show off their special effects powers. So Sounds fantastic. It, it looks fantastic. You've got to go check it out online. I think we should share a couple of their shorter versions on space brains just to kind of you know, promote it. it looks it looks great so this was also written alex wrote the story and um lem dobbs and david Escoya wrote the screenplay it does star rufus selwell keith sullen jennifer connelly richard o'brien william hurt and probably every australian actor that you've ever ever seen on home and away or neighbors or any of those ones (laughs) there's a massive amount of australian actors in this uh it was filmed in sydney 
You know that scene with the big face? Oh, this is Melissa George's first feature film. It was. And you do get to see her naked. And so. killed. <laughs> Which, if, that, if that's what you're into, go so for it. It's got the whole range of life through death. It does. Um, it, one of, You know the big face, the alien underground, that was shot in an old amusement park. Oh, not... Right? So not in the studio, old amusement park. And they even built... The, the not railway Luna, thing. Luna Park? Not Luna Park. No, no not that no. old. The budget was $27 million and the film made $27 million. So yeah. <laughs> even Stephen. I don't know if that makes people happy or not, but yeah, anyway. It, pro- it probably makes people meh. Yeah, I think so. I think you've got to double it or triple it to make people happy. Yeah, they, they don't seem to even be happy with, with doubling. I mean, like what we said with James Cameron, he, he managed to get the producer on board by saying, I'll sell you the script for a dollar if I can direct it, and they're happy with that. And then, do you know what I saw, Jack? This is not sci-fi, but he said that with the Titanic, right? They pitched it at 120 mil. Yes. The budget. Fine. Here's 120 mil. James Cameron, you know, Titanic. Uh, sorry, Terminator 2. These, this guy's fine. 120 mil. Go for it. I don't know why you want to make this movie, because you've just made Terminator 2, and you should be making more sci-fi, action, whatever. Halfway through, uh, we need a bit more money. No, we're not giving you any more money. Well, we need more money. Well... What are you going to do about it, James? Okay, I'm not going to earn any money from this film. Oh. Producer's like, okay then, no worries. We'll give you more money. They gave him more money. Titanic goes on, makes like a billion dollars. He makes nothing. He made zero. Oh, and he, Zilched. He cried all the way to Avatar. He did. <laughs> which, so, made, which made two or three billion dollars in the Well, he probably learnt the lesson, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, anyway, it's a scary world, right? Like the film film industry. So, I don't know. Alex, again, could maybe tell us about that experience. It'd be really interesting. This is the thing. We've got to get him on the show, sorry. Make it happen. Done. So, this film, just before we get into the plot, it's dark, like The Crow. I'm glad that your wife picked up that because it is like The Crow. It is dark and there's yeah. lots of shadows and stuff. Another word for that could be film noir. Well, it was definitely noir. There's right, like right? The, the lighting just didn't seem to penetrate. No. But it does. That's the thing with film now. So, like, when you go back to the 40s, like, you look at it and um, it's black and white. And so the shadows are more, they're even harsher. But the light that they do put on a subject, a person, whatever, is then so important. So, mm. whether it's a shadow or whether it's like a door creeping open or whether it's like a lampshade light or whether it's the light coming through, you know, like windows or something. It's always very important what is lit. So here in this film, there's a really great moment where, um, you know, you think the detective is going to go to the captain, but he's actually letting Murdoch out of the police station. And they cut to the captain and you're thinking, oh, that's what's going to happen. Ha ha, I'm the audience. I know everything. But no, it's the strangers coming in to the captain. They just... He just has this beautiful shot of the doors opening and the shadow coming towards the captain. And also the captain's sitting up high, so he's all got shadows all over him and stuff like that. So this film is Dark City and it is dark, but it's deliberate dark. So, And I think the great thing with darkness now, sorry, in the digital age is our mo- the, the modern TV, laptop, even phone... Uh, you know, with its capabilities, it shows darkness in a really cool way. There was an era like you and really I in the eighties, cool, seventies, eighties, really cool in uh, like in a good way, in a good way. Oh, okay, yeah, yes, it's high, high contrast. High, the contrast works. Well, they got a high dynamic range. Yeah, yeah. 
Whereas, you know, we grew up in the 70s and 80s where that didn't work so oh, well. VHS. I, I, I have this film on tape. Yep. And, yeah, it's not... You're like, what's going on? I don't not, know. It's all grainy. And, oh, You're not well, too sure if the grain is deliberate. It, it sort of made sense to this film, but yeah, yeah, okay. But it's so much better when you get to see it like that. So I just wanted to set that up. And we've talked a bit about it's kind of like The Matrix, but instead of computers, it's aliens... So if you go in to watch Dark City and maybe take that on board, it gives you a little preface. And I think it is interesting taking it like The Matrix because also like The Matrix, it's kind of one of these stories that has a... Yeah, it's, it's got an obvious story yeah. that you can watch. And that's what I watched when I first watched it. But it's got sort of a couple of undertones here, for example, of things like the, the awakening of, um, you know, understanding. Mm. Uh, the... Was it... Uh, the, the, the cave, the parable of the cave, yeah, yeah. where the person's sitting in the cave, and I think it was at Socrates, and he's just seeing shadows on the wall, and you think that's all there is. Yeah. But then at some point, you follow the light back, yeah. and you come to the outside world and discover the things that are causing the shadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, that, that sort of uh, waking up, it's a, like a coming of age. Yeah. It's, uh, it's biblical, and I'll, I'll talk a bit about that as well, which is sort of a bit of a... My, my first aha uh-huh was Mary Poppins because of the way these dudes floated around. They all looked like you, know, you put an umbrella in their hands <laughs> and they all look like Mary Poppins. But I, yeah, I've got a... He menacingly like floats off holding an umbrella. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just a spoonful of sugar helps the uh, memories go down. Yes, that's right. So, so well, I'll talk a bit about that as, as well when we get there because... Uh, I I do love myself a bit of um, biblical <laughs> biblical allegory. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is from the Matrix as well. But it's all, it's all, it, this one as well. Like I think in a way, Dark City, when you do think about the narrative overall, like it makes more sense. This this is more what you would tell a writer to to edit the story to. Like come in on the action. So you come in on John Murdoch waking up and go, "Who the fuck am I? Like mm. where am I? I'm in a." In a bathroom, I'm bleeding. Oh God, there's a naked woman like that's murdered, and like wh- who? Am- and and literally not knowing who I am. The Matrix. It's almost like no, I live in a boring world, and I've got nothing to live for. You know, it's like going back a step in a way, right? And then he wakes up in the bathtub, yeah, going ah, who the hell am I? <laughs> right? Like, and that's at the like 35 minute mark of the Matrix, whereas this film does it in the first five minutes. First five minutes. You know, like where it's, you know, it sets up like, ah, who the hell I, am I? I, so, I, I really, really love this opening scene. The lighting is beautiful. Oh, the, it's gorgeous. The dark green tiles. Like, yes. They yeah. could have been any color, but that dark green, it just really, uh, and then he smashes the fishbowl mm. and saves, saves the Saves the fish. <laughs> and like, because like, he's been put in the situation where you're to suspect he could be a murderer. Yeah. He picks up the goldfish, saves it. And then even the, the police officer the mentions police officer it picks up, says, yeah. what sort of murderer would save a fish? <laughs> That's sounding a little bit John Wayne. I'm sorry. Yeah. And the, the, the other police officer like saves the fish too. Yes. Like tries to, tries to like scoop the fish up. Put him in a little glass. Yeah, it's clever. So we do open up on this city and, and uh, if you watch the common uh, version, there's voiceover telling us that these strangers abandoned their planet and they came to ours. Um, and that he, the Dr. Schreiber, he helps them conduct their experiments and he's portrayed his own kind. So, oh, And then he kind of like creeps through this... Yeah, this city that's a beautiful film noir, dark. It looks like Metropolis. It's very deep. 
You yeah. notice that? Like, we kind of, like, panned, not panned, we um, tilted, like, from the top of buildings all the way down, and there's, like, multi-layers, and, and there's, there's freeways, and there's trains, over, and, over roads. Yeah, and just it was like, very yeah. similar to Metropolis. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing, like, later we learn it's a reality that the aliens have made out of, like, multiple settings from Earth, so... Yeah, they've kind of like taken different errors. Which again is a bit matrixy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's extremely matrixy. And uh, he hobbles along. It's kind of cool. And I mean, Dr. Schraber, if that's how you say his name, um, I I loved him as a character because he's got a weird eye, right? Like it's patched over, like the skin's growing a bit over his eye. A bit like, Um, yeah, like Dr. Frankenstein's ego or something. He's got a hobble. Uh, he's obviously then extremely intelligent in terms of the scientific kind of mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very obsessed. Later, you find out like he's very obsessed about his work. Like he's really into his work. He sort of speaks a little bit in weird riddles, and uh, but then at the same time, he's also like trying to kind of make amends. So I think as a character, he's a kind of a pretty like it's a deep character right <laughs> like so to me it, it, he sold that and Keith Sutherland I think this is a point in his career because it was before 24 you know that TV show that yeah. sort of like brought him back into the the limelight um for many years there so I think it was kind of probably somewhere in his acting career that he maybe wasn't as big as he was in the 80s and um so he did this role and it's a I think it's a really cool role for him like it's a good age he's not too old Quite often, you know, the scientists, like you take things like um, Edward Scissorhands and they're these really old scientists. And whereas like this, like he's a good, he's a quite, you know, only somewhere in his 30s or 40s or something. Like, I don't know. They kind of worked well, I thought. I liked him. I, I, I think so. I have to agree. Like, I liked the character. I loved his very helpless yeah. yeah. <laughs> way of talking. Yeah. It made you feel that like he was a bit frail. He yeah. did feel like he's frail. And he, and he sort of says that to us a few times. Um, so John wakes up, he smashes the goldfish bowl, saves the goldfish, finds a bloody woman and a knife, and he's a bit horrified, chucks his stuff in a suitcase with KH on the uh, little handle, yep. and he trots on downstairs, and I love this interaction he has, he, he trots down, and the guy says, hey, what you doing, you gotta go get your wallet from the automat, and he says, oh, what, what? You're paid for three weeks. Do you want to stay any longer? You got to just no time off for good behavior, whatever he says, you know. <laughs> and it's just a typical, you know, New York sort of slumlord voice type thing going on. And he sees his name, Jay Murdoch, mm. which is the first time he's seen. He goes, Oh, I'm Jay Murdoch. Yep. And he has a little scene that I'm going, Jay, Jack, Jacob? Yeah, he does. <laughs> John? Like, he's, he's trying a few things. But yeah, so he, he goes off, and, and the. Uh, As he's going, we get the. First glimpse of these strange the strangers people, you know, this like group of men, trench coats similar to the Matrix. They're very pale white hats. But there's a kid with them. There's a well, I think I think in this opening scene, you know, you don't necessarily see that it's a kid, right? Like it's just like a little person, and but they're because they're all like very mysterious. They're shadows in a yeah. way, um, and they they kind of rock up and they realize that he's. Yeah, he's taken off, which is a bit weird. That they're yeah. a bit baffled straight away, um, and so he flees the the scenes. His wife, this woman Jennifer Connolly, rocks up, and it's good to see Jennifer Connolly. I don't know. I don't really know what happened to this. Such a big eighty star, you know. Two big eighty stars are in this film. Big, 
And um, anyway, she rocks up. She's like, because she's beautiful and uh, and you know talented actor. And um, she walks she walks up to the doctor. She tells the doctor that um, you know you know who the hell are you kind of idea. And he's got this great thing going on when he talks to her. It's a bit of Pope in the pool stuff again. Yeah. But it's like <laughs> it's just putting rats in this trap maze thing, circular maze. Yeah, and it's, it's this just... big, beautiful white rat. And uh, he's saying to her that he was John Murdoch. Your um, your husband, uh, he was the doctor, and that he's having a psych. He's had a psych break. He, he knows that he knows all about that. She cheated on him, mm. uh, and this is what this he's he's kind of just gone down a rabbit hole, and he's had a big psych break. So if you see him, it's a classic. If you see him, give me a call. Give me a call because I can talk him down. Yeah, I can talk him. I can bring him back. And there's this kind of great shot above the cage. And if you noticed, it's already been mm. like, you know, and the rat is going and he, and the doctor actually says, he goes, oh, this is a very primitive experiment going on here. Yes. It's, 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 it's an experiment, <laughs> a primitive experiment. I wouldn't do anything like this to my subjects, Yes, but I'm doing it to this rat. Um, so, uh, following the clues, Murdoch starts to learn about his own name. Um, well, so he gets his wallet. He, yeah. He goes, he goes to the automat. Yep, which I thought it. was interesting because it's like just a banana. Like, yeah, it's quite a surreal. Like, you'd never have a shop that was like that, uh, which gives you that feeling that maybe aliens kind of invented this. And it's just like a banana, a an apple, and it's, <laughs> and it's not like he replaces the banana with another banana. No. The banana gets taken by someone and he puts a sandwich there. Yeah, and it's just like these random food items. And he he's, he tells you know Murdoch I got your wallet and he puts it in a uh, an empty spot and Murdoch says well I I can't get it and he because he doesn't have his wallet he can't put any money in to open the automat thing and so he gets a bit frustrated and mm. that's where we see his like little brainwave shoot out and pop the door open which sort of surprises him but he yeah. grabs the wallet and goes out and says hello to Melissa George. Yeah, well, she, she, the police kind of stop him and then she steps in as, you know, pretending yeah. to be as a girlfriend or something and they, they let him wander on. Um, but yeah, it is, it is interesting that wall of glass cabinets and you're right, like the banana and the sandwich. And I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a throwback to that era of, you know, like glass cabinets and picking a slice of pie out. And then I think also that in different cultures we have. You know, there's those, you know, maybe is it Japanese culture where they've had the kind of like conveyor belt of oh, Well, food. they definitely have these things in Japan. Where yeah. Like, but this was kind of weird because it's like yeah. there's like a, a plate with just a banana Bana- sitting <laughs> on it and the label handwritten says, but you know, a like, banana. I mean, I know we don't do it now with COVID, but you know, like you go to places like the airport and they can be very sterile like that where, yeah, yeah it's not just a banana that's exaggerated, but it is like a sandwich on a plate. Yes, and you buy that, or a hospital sometimes. You know, it's like this literal sandwich wrapped in a bubble on a plate. You yeah. know, I just, um, I just, I just loved it because it's like, yeah. obviously, it's a banana. It's <laughs> why, why do you label a banana? A banana. Like, <laughs> I know it's weird, eh? and you can only buy one of them. You know, uh, yeah. So he he goes out uh, and goes up to this mm. obviously a sex worker's house. Yes. And, and at, at the same time, we cut into the detective, Bumstead. Frank Bumstead. What a name. I know. They've all got really interesting names. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's something to it. It'd be great to speak to Alex Preuss again about these names because 
They're all very, you know, did you notice it? Like Murdoch, Bumstead, Polinsky. 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 He's going crazy, you know. And then uh, I don't know it now, but the uh, the two cops as well, like they really named the cops, the the little rookie, like you're back on the case, Hummerford or something. Like, mm. like they re- they their names were really, and then she's always Mrs. Murdoch. This is Murdoch, your husband, you know, like it's like then na- and then all the the uh strangers, right? Like they're Mr. Hand and Mr. Left Mr. And Book. Mr. Book. Yes. <laughs> so they've all got these particular names, right? Yeah. But anyway, at the same time the Frank Bumstead he's at the hotel and there's a nice bit here where there's a different concierge, right? Like yeah, the concierge's I mean, been replaced, yeah, so we, the audience, are like, and the thing I like about "What's this, going on there?" It wasn't a subtle replacement. No, they no, changed it. His, no. So the original guy was like a, a slim, built, small sort of mustachioed. Um, you can imagine Italian American yeah. from Brooklyn. Yep. I'm I'm just making this up. I don't really know. So if you are a small, middle aged, mustachioed. <laughs> Italian American from Brooklyn, and you go, Nah, that guy ain't no one of us. Because, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, I apologize for that as well. But then they replaced him with like a more heavy set, larger, you know, black man with, you know, without the same accent. Yeah. But he, he says, but the, he same, says the same No line. time off for good behavior. He says, he said, <laughs> I told him it's the money straight down the barrel, and there's no time. Almost like he's sort of rehearsing it. Yeah. It's, and, and by making it so obvious, because it'd be easy to. To miss that, if it was just some other uh, white dude with dark hair and, yeah, and a mustache, would, yeah. you'd kind of you'd pass by. But they made him starkly different, different yeah, size, did. different shape, different color, the whole lot. They did so that you you wouldn't be you wouldn't just think it was just you not remembering, right? No. So it's a really nice little moment that they're giving us the audience like a little treasure, aren't they? You know, like a little yeah. piece of the puzzle. Whereas, like the detective doesn't know. Uh, when he's in the, they're investigating the hotel room, you know, revealing the stuff that we already know. This is where you get Polinsky. He's sort of like, he's a madman. He runs in ranting and raving and then the police like no drag him. No way out. Yeah, there's no way out. You no know, way whatever. Out. They like, right, Colin Frills, great Australian actor, uh, plays this madman and, and they reveal him and Frank Bumstead's a bit like, ugh, well, this is the case they give me, you know, like yeah. I, I just follow up what I'm being given. Um, back at the station, uh, Mrs. Murdoch rocks up, and at first, Bumstead's not too impressed with her. You know, not like, who the hell are you? You know, missing report, and then uh, realizing that she's, you know, Murdoch's wife, he should talk to her. So he starts talking to her, kind of straight away, getting the impression that why would he be a murderer? Like it doesn't seem to fit the bill. Mm. Um, so they're a bit confused about that, but you know, obviously that's going to look. We cut back to Murdoch at uh, Melissa George, the prostitute's place. She's sort of seducing him just by getting naked. Easily done, I would say. Sorry. Works most of the time. <laughs> um, and he's... It's a funny scene because he kind of like... in He advises her that maybe this isn't the right time for you to be doing this kind of behavior. Yeah. I don't know if he's quite getting who she is, but... Um, yeah, and needs to be safe. and then And then he heads off. He doesn't stay and she's missed out on the fee, hasn't she? Yeah, and she's a bit disappointed. Mm. So he heads off. He, he's dragged out a postcard out of his pocket of Shell Beach. Shell Beach. And he notices a big billboard of Shell Beach. And it's one of those like moving, old school. I don't know if we've ever really had those signs in no. Australia, but... 
we're not we're not big on billboards. We're not as big on them. I think now with the digital, we're, we're in we're in there. But yeah, it's a fair bit. But the, the the before digital, a literal moving hand, you know, like a three D picture, but the hand moves. And there's Shell Beach, and you can see it's worn and tattered. I loved it about this in this whole film. There's so much that's worn and tattered again, like the Matrix. Mm. Like it's all sort of worn down. Um, the trains are, the cars are, the costumes are, the the locations are. You know. Um, Nothing's polished, and uh, yeah, so he kind of goes and investigates this, and he's he's suddenly pursued by these strangers, and so they're kind of like coming up on him, and and one does, and and uh, he you know there's like this troop of them, the power men, and um, he, I think what what the first one he kind of pushes back, and the ledge cracks a bit, and he falls down, and gets. Strangled. Yeah, but then he, but then he, but then he, like with his mind, he manages to like break the. Yeah, it convinces the ground to crack apart. Yeah, the ground crack, and they they don't they don't realize he he can do that, so they disappear. And the one that falls completely then flies up behind him. Flies up behind him. There's a bit of a uh, a struggle, and like there's he, John Luke falls in the ropes, and it's pulling on the machinery that's swinging yeah. his hand and his hand suddenly gains the momentum and strength of a swinging samurai sword <laughs> and slashes off the back of this guy's skull and we get a spatter of thick red goop we do. and he drops down and it's kind of really gross and John Murdoch is is not too pleased by this no but particularly displeased when you start seeing little shiny tentacle things start yeah. crawling out and you're going what the hell is this and this weird slug tentacle mouth thing kind of translucent blue glowy thing climbs out and then quickly yeah it kind of roars at him and then and then rolls over dead (laughs) yeah we cut from there we go to underground i think the camera literally goes down underground and there's a whole bunch of these pale men um i loved this like i really loved this scene because it's like a choir of them right like it's a it's a huge bunch it's a school uh, there, there's a group, and they're 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 very much scheduled up a sort of embankment in a way, and they're all like moving in motion together, and they're all wearing the same sort of costumes, all shaved heads, all very pale, again and, very metropolisy. Yeah, again very metropolisy, and and just very uniform together. And we learn very quickly that they talk together, and they all have names like Mister Hand and Mister Quick and Mister Book and. Mr. Mr. Book's the big dude. Yeah, okay, he's the he's the main guy, right? So, the and, and they're they're doing that. So it's like, oh, okay. So there's there's this underground layer of all of these guys. John appears, creeps out of his wife in the darkness. Uh, I think she comes out yeah, of the shower she, well, or something. She, she comes and, home, I think. From yeah, she, so I mean, she's she's at home, and I think maybe she comes out of the shower or it's, something. It's and, the classic, you know, the light turns on, and there he is. There he so is, I mean, yeah. And they ha- they start to argue about the affair that happened, and um, so that that's sort of going on. And we cut from there to the doctor, and this is a this is a great scene. The doctor in the spa bath, so it's like a communal spa bath, or I don't know what they call those things—a bathhouse or something. Yeah, this, this is just and, after the Pope left the pool. Yeah, <laughs> and he's having a good relaxing time, the doctor. But then one one of these pale motherfuckers rocks up and creeps him out, and and he he you notice like he kind of like moves to the middle of the pool, like he's yeah. you know, and then and then that one's like, we don't like the moisture. Yes, you know yeah. how much the moisture makes us feel uncomfortable. Keep saying the word moist. 
Moist. I don't like being moist. <laughs> I don't Doctor, know. you seem a bit moist. <laughs> I don't know who likes the word moist, but you know, you aliens need to learn that. We don't like it. And uh, and he, but he he basically says to him, well. You know, you're stuffed up. We found the needle, you know, at the apartment. And uh, the doctor says, yeah, I was trying to prod Mr. Murdoch and it didn't work. He woke up. You get them sometimes, don't you? Runaways. And they say, oh, it's not like this one. And the pale man says, you'll create another memory. And he's like, okay, I'll do another one and we'll prod Mr. Murdoch again. And he goes, no, no, like we we want a copy. But it doesn't take in you guys. He doesn't it's always care. Well, no, this is worth it. We think it will work. Yeah. And then so we cut back to Murdoch arguing with the wife. and the. Well, in particular, he, he says, I don't know who you are. I, yeah. I don't remember anything. And, and so his wife's gone, oh, okay, he really has kind of lost it. Yes. And this is where Blumfield rocks. Blumfeld? Blumfeld? Bumstead. With, with his accordion thing. That he yeah, loves. yeah. He, he, <laughs> Did I tell you about my accordion? Oh, my God. The killer's here. Um, and, uh, you know, he barges in and it's like, oh, and so there's a chase scene and he chases him down the stairs. And this is where, again, he uses his power. There's a nice sort of like dead end brick wall, zaps it into a door and boop, pops through. And then the detective's like, where the fuck did he go? Jeez. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, uh, Bumstead though, he goes to... The doctor. He goes to the doctor first because he's told that he's apparently the doctor of John Murdoch. Yeah, well, in that scene, he got the business card. Or yes. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and so, um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That's I right. I lost my place. So, yeah, the detective goes to the doctor and he reveals to Murdoch that he, he, he says to him that he doesn't think Murdoch's the killing type. Like, he doesn't seem to be the murdering type. And the doctor is saying, oh, well, I'm an expert on personalities. Oh, yes. It's that weird, weirdly uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, like you're a detective. Scene. I'm a psychologist. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So I'm good to, you know, you are, you know, sad and lonely. Yeah. Well, so, well to be fair, he probably mixed, mixed up his yeah. <laughs> memories. So he, he probably knew it. Yeah. And, and I just, the, the parting shot should have just been. Moist. Moist, yeah. Um, at the same time, John gets into a cab to escape and the cabbie's got like a another Shell Beach postcard or I don't know, something or a little thing. And he's like, yeah, yeah, my wife and I, we went there on a honeymoon. He's like, oh, great. Okay, so you probably know the way. You're a cabbie, you know. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you just take Main Street and, uh, and oh, geez, I don't remember. Somewhere down Main Street, you know. Yeah. And it's like, well, why don't you remember? He's like, well, I, I just don't remember which road you take, but it's there, you know. And so you're starting to get this impression that there's something weird about this Shell Beach. You Shell know? And that's what John is kind of also feels like he's been drawn that there's a bit of a secret about Shell Beach. Um, Bumstead uh, rocks up with the past detective. His wife's not impressed. Goes in there. He's got this room. It's got the writing all over the wall and the ceiling. And classic crazy person. Classic cray-cray. And um, he, he he says to him, well, that's not my wife out there. And he's yeah, like, what do you I, mean? I, he's don't like, I don't even know who she is, you know? So it's a, just he's coming across totally cray-cray. Um, and the detective's not too impressed about it, but I guess he's, you know, as a detective, he's taking it all on board. Yeah. And um, at the end, his last line actually says, this is not actually a joke, but 
So I thought that was kind of a pretty cool last line. The Doctor enters a wall. He he walks into a wall, right? Yeah, like, uh, well, the wall yeah, is a door. following him or yeah. spotted him or something. Yeah. Spots him, something like that. And he, and he goes into this... Watches these bricks. Bricks turn into melt. a door. Yeah. And the door, and then we follow him. The strangers take him down this roller coaster, stand-up roller coaster oh, thing. I love this thing. <laughs> it's very Tim Burton, isn't it? Yes. And the props department said that, well, they didn't have the budget to make um, a bunch of these, so it's just literally one. And they just shot the one over and over, kind of to make it look more so. <laughs> so this is, I think, one, I think what they meant is like it's one little stretch of roller coaster, and they just kind of had to keep wheeling them along each bit, changing. Yeah, it. well, yeah. Um, that's the old Doctor Who thing where they've got yeah. two corridors, and they just film them coming from <laughs> one down angle. one and turning right, yeah. and another one they go down and turn left, left yeah. and then there's one they go straight yes. to the camera, and then they one away from the camera. That's right. Well, they've been going got- through. Corridor. I'm pretty sure every every film that does it, you see the number of times you see people running through a, a building or a complex, mm. and I've never seen a building with that many turns and corners. That's right. <laughs> like, you know, my my high school would have been a good example of it. It's just, it was literally a square yeah. with a, a a bit in the middle. Like, what do you call that? A courtyard in the middle. Yeah. Uh, but you know, one of these films would have had people running down and turning and going upstairs and around another corner, around mm. corner, down all corridor after corridor after corridor. And you go, there's literally four corridors, <laughs> and you can see them through the glass. Yes, you know, that's yeah, it. Yeah. But so yeah, it's it's there's no magic. dead ends in movies in that way. <laughs> it's movie it's, magic. It is. So the this is where we kind of have a whole unveiling of that underground and the Doctor's lair, and he, he even though. You know, he's obviously starting to give more away, you know, onto the good side, maybe, so to speak. Um, there's a moment here where he's he's like, oh, a dash of, you know, yeah. regret and a, and a little splash of an asshole parent. And yeah, a teenage rebellion. Teenage rebellion. And, and death in the But family. he's really, enjo- the thing is, to me, like, I didn't, it didn't really matter what he was saying. He was just loving the science. Like, yes. he was into what he was doing. Because he even jokes with like one of the ones he's like you don't you wouldn't get lust you know like that's a human emotion like he's he's taking the piss out of them like you're getting me to do this experiment you don't even really get the emotion you know like he, he's he's really like and jerking I, their I attention actually think, looking back this was when he's putting together the instruction for murdoch probably because yeah. when else did he get the opportunity to yeah so it's, yeah and because he's, he's saying you know the death in the family the yeah. touch of rebellion and when we go through his memories later on, it's we true. see that there's that fire, for example, where his yeah. parents died. And That's so a good point. On. Yeah, and I didn't think of it that way now that you're saying Carl. it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's a cool, like, and, and he's having a great old time with it. As I said, he's like even taking the piss out of the, uh, you know, the alien who doesn't really know what he's talking and it's about. It's a rather steampunk device that's like, you know, it's, Sucking up liquids from one thing, yeah, a yeah. rotating barrel, and then it goes and drips it's, it into the other yeah, thing. And extremely science looking. Watches me. through the, 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 the microscope and sees the molecule joining in to form a wobbly blob. And then along comes your little mate, the I, boss. Yeah, <laughs> I love that thing. <laughs> Mr. Book. Mr. Book. And he, he just like rips him up, flips him upside down. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, like he, he's saying, what's going on with Murdoch? You stuffed up on him, to be honest. <laughs> you screwed that one. You screwed that one. And he's sort of lucky because... Um, and then he says, well, 
I think that maybe it's again it's very scienty because he scientisty because he says well I think he's evolved a bit like you and they're like you you take lifetimes to become like us you know? yes yeah, he's, he's he's just like you yeah. And and with that, it's like no, it's twelve o'clock at night, so it's time that the line is it's time, it's time to do the tuning, and so the big metropolis face comes out of the wall. We, yeah, we get a bit more of tuning in this one, don't we? We this is where we get that uh, what I said earlier. It's like we have this whole now scene of, um, you know, the the tuning starting to begin and commence yeah. because then. Murdoch, who's sort of watching on, he he notices it's midnight, so all the cars come to a stop, the trains stop, People and he starts going, down, well, what really? the hell's going on? He warns around, and it's cool. It's a good scene, isn't it? Because, I mean, you imagine if you're in that scenario, it's almost like the world's died around you. you he opens a car door and screams in someone's face. He tries to shake someone awake. He, you know, like screams out to the heavens. Because mm. you would. You'd be like, what the hell is going on here? You know, like, what what, what do I do now, you know? And then with that, the sign, you know, the doctor, etc., um, they come. Up. They yeah. come out and they they're doing this tuning. And as uh, to me, this is a really favourite scene because you you've cut to this couple having dinner and kind of the man's a worker, like a coal mine worker almost, yeah. you know. And he's like, "Oh, it's another night shift, and uh, Barry doesn't want me to work, and he won't pay us." the right wage or whatever. And then they've come in and they do this tuning and the house, the house just is a really like the special effects in this particular sequence, I think are brilliant because the house grows as this whole thing unfolds. Right. I love like, the way the, the table goes into that, the classic rich person's table. It does. The, Candlesticks. They're, they're and, at opposite ends of yeah. this huge table, which is totally <laughs> ridiculous. And, and mountains of food. And there's, and there's yeah, platter and platter of food. And they've got maybe just a little thing on their plate. You go, there's yeah. no chance they're going to eat that stuff. No, no. So it's a, it's a great moment. And, and I think you said it, the doctor says, you know, the maid's quarters, you know, you might wake up and there'll be maid's quarters. And he goes and injects the little kids in the head. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty rough, really. It is. Everyone has to be injected in the head at some point, sorry. We also see these um, buildings rise and the streetscapes change a bit and and uh, you see them, like, dumping someone into a barber chair and, like, changing their top and... So it, the whole point here is showing us the fun and games of this is how it works. Yeah, it's and it's really interesting. I think maybe this is a part where people compare it to Twilight Zone because there are, there are yeah. a couple of Twilight Zone episodes that I remember which were sort of, you know, when you're asleep, that's when the world gets created and yeah, yeah. stuff changes and you didn't know about it. And dreams are when people accidentally wake up and sort of wander out to these weird scapes. So the doctor comes out, you know, he's like he's done his job, he's probably very content and this Murdoch confronts him and they have a little bit of a, a moment, I think on the street. And then uh, where the doctor starts, well, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm actually going to try to help you. But Murdoch like uses his uh, mind and knocks the, the syringe and says, yeah, inject yourself with this and you'll know everything. That's right. And that's why I think that's when he was mixing this up was back. In the, yes. Yeah, and he yeah. says, well, maybe I'll just take that and keep a hold of that. Yes. And but, then knocks him over using his mind. Right. Like, yes. And says, yeah. you really can do it. And he's like, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the strangers is where we have Mister Hand gets injected with the the Murdoch memories. Yes, and it's it's not good because he gets the the memories that John Murdoch was supposed to have had implanted, but didn't get finished. I do wonder if they chose Murdoch because of Rupert Murdoch. 
Rupert in the other one? <laughs> mm, I don't know. You know, big Australian media tycoon, or was global it, empire tycoon. I know, I always associate it with the A-team. Yeah. Murdoch was the crazy pilot. It was it's, insane. I know, well, he, well Rupert Murdoch he was acted, also insane. He acted a bit crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Been nothing, they've got no. lots of questions going on here. So Murdoch, um, he realises with his suitcase that he, there's Uncle Carl. There's a... Yes. K- Carl, K- KH. has a bit of a memory there. Yeah, he has a bit of a thing of like, oh, I could go to Uncle Carl. So he goes to Uncle Carl, and Uncle Carl's a little old man in a wheelchair. Is um, it Neptune's palace sort is of it Net- Yeah, which is kind of like tucked away. It used to be an aquarium or something. Yeah, well, I love this scene where he throws the rock. So it's, yeah, it's got the box office there with a closed sign, and it's all locked up. Mm. So he can't get in, so he throws the rock through the uh, sign, uh, window, yeah. and it knocks the sign, spins around to open. Yes, and I just want to know, was that an intentional thing? Because it's so so neat that it's closed, he throws it, smashes it open, it's open, and he, yeah. and he lets himself in. Or there's just a happy coincidence thing. he went, I'm keeping that tape. <laughs> Maybe. I know. I know. It's cool, isn't That's it? That's a good one. So, But he goes in a car, Carl's in a wheelchair, and confronts him with a shoddy. Because, oh, John, my boy. I haven't seen you in years. How? When was the last? It must have been, oh, well, I don't know. It was a while ago now. Yes. Fade of memory again. You know, repetition. Yeah, but it was years. And uh, he does confront Carlin about memories and so forth. He shows him pictures of his childhood. The, he asks about his parents. And he says, well, your parents died in the fire. And they're looking at some photos, and it's like, oh, hang on. When I was a, oh, after the fire, I, I had I had scars. Yes, from the fire. They're, yeah, you did. And he goes, well, I don't have scars now. And and Carl kind of dismisses it pretty well, quickly. Yeah, he gets a bit confused. Yeah, oh, yeah, I don't know. Things You've change. gotten older. Your body's changed. You know, yeah. but you know, we're feeling that it's funny. And then and then he says, oh, you know, that's enough. Go to bed, and we'll wake up. And he, and then that's when John also says, but hang on, like. When was a day? Yeah, when you was know, the last time I remember doing something today? Not in a distant past memory, but yeah, really like yesterday. Or and again, week. Carl's like, you know, you're tired. It's it's midnight. You know, look he, outside. And he goes into his room, which was left just the way it was. Yeah, so it's a and kid's room. And he opens room. up the drawer and finds that little book. His the Shell guide Beach. to Shell Beach. Yeah. And he opens it and it's blank pages. There's no going, pictures. Oh, that's crazy. That is. We humorously saw the strangers in the little. Um, conveyor belt production line producing yeah. all the little mementos and altering you know um, IDs and, and so forth during the tuning which I thought was which yeah is that was great. so you know they can just alter reality with their minds but they all work in a big conveyor belt <laughs> production line like yeah. making these little trinkets and <laughs> and stuff like, it's just I want to like, make uh, Surrey's little postcard that he like, sent himself as a child like Santa's little workshop yeah thing, it was but, Santa's workshop wasn't yeah, it like creepy Creepy one. <laughs> if all the elves look like Nosferatu. They do. <laughs> uh, yeah, the detective and the wife are kind of back together talking about Murdoch. They're in the car and he's got the accordion. Sorry, he's got the accordion. And he say, says, I got that from my mum and my mum my died recently. And she's like, oh, it's beautiful, you know, it's an absolute beautiful accordion. And then he's like, but I don't, Remember when she gave it to me? Yeah, don't know. But it's really important. What, like, why is that? And that it's kind of left up in the air that you know. Like, but he's, he's. You can see the detective is thinking it through, right? Mm. Like, there's something weird going on here with the memories. It's twelve midnight, so the sleep happens again, and the world changes. 
in this time, Murdoch. Um, oh, that's right. The when Murdoch has gone off to the kids' room, that's just important there. That that Carl rings his wife. Yes. So then, therefore, the wife and the detective. Okay, we're off. We know where Murdoch is. Let's go get him. And he knows that as well. So he takes off. He flees Carl's place. And as he's fleeing, it's midnight, so the world goes to sleep, including the detective and that. Uh, he sees that, and all of a sudden, the strangers are there, the group. And this time, they really mean business. They've yep. got their knives out and having, little creepy claws. There's a thing. Yeah, there's a chasey scene. There's a, there's a face. The, they kind of come screeching along the wall at one point. The little kid has teeth. He manages to get one and holds them down, and he reveals that all their memories are... A kind of reinvented, like this one is telling him. It's it's re reimagined each time. So like, he knows all about the memories, like he, about him meeting Anna, his wife, and meet Shell Beach and his parents. And but John doesn't really want. Like you know, that's weird, isn't it? It's like imagine someone telling you those memories that you had in your brain. I don't have any memories in my brain. You've got none. No, sorry, is blank. Sorry, people might think we're space brains because we come from space and we're science fiction. No, it's because there is a lot of space <laughs> in there's my a, brain. There's a lot of space in your brain. Okay. Yes, there's plenty of room in there. Okay, well, maybe you wouldn't find it creepy, but I think most of us would find that creepy. Someone kind of like <laughs> telling you memories that you actually know. So it kind of holds Murdoch off for a moment and that enables him to escape and there's yeah, another the, chase the roof, scene. The roof grows up and the, they, yeah. they fall to either side, which is which is kind of a bit symbolic really where John falls to one side yeah. and the other guy with John Murdoch's memories falls to the other side. Mm, yeah, it's interesting. John's not the murderer and he and maybe Mr. The other guys, is. Yeah. And... And they have they, that, that, that cool tense around they're climbing up the fire escape. Yeah, and, and it kind of grows. Is, is moving in towards yeah. it and the... Um, the the Bruce Spencer is that the actor's name? The anyway, is he? I think Max, so. Australian dude. He jumps through the window, and another guy jumps through the window, and John Murdoch jumps through a window. And this one guy doesn't, and the... you just you just get a real big splat of blood yeah. there. Like <laughs> the you know old uh, Proyas here, he doesn't seem to mind going a little bit gory at no, times. No, no, like, a bit of a spray of blood. Why the, not? The rest of this movie is not gory, but there's just these thick chunks of blood and goop <laughs> squirting out. Um. So, yeah, back to Inspector Bumstead. He eventually catches up to Murdoch um, through this phone call and, um, yeah, kind of implies that Murdoch's probably innocent, but, you know, we're going to arrest him. So they bring him down to the station and lock him up. Anna, the wife, and Murdoch, they do have a moment through the glass wall of, you know, making amends and, and Murdoch tells her that the whole thing's a weird memory and maybe it's well, not real. See, this, this and is she, that, this is that moment she says, well, well, I really love you, but like you can't make that love yeah, up. This is what and, they're saying is that there's some things that aren't just yeah. memories. So like how can, even if this whole thing is made up, well, I really love you. Sorry, I really and love this, you. So. This made me remember uh, the eternal spotless sunshine yes, and yeah. the mindless twerk or whatever it is. <laughs> That, that Eternal brief, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That movie there, which was similar sort of concept. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, Delete uh, the memories, but they're still kind of drawn the, to each the other. The attraction yeah. that was originally there is still there. Which is a good point, right? Yeah. Like maybe and, we, and still... we also get Murdoch being interrogated. Yes. Where he's talking to Bumstead and he finds his pictures in the book, which confuses him, of course, because yeah. it was blank. 
But then, yeah, Bumps is going, oh, well, how do you explain all of this then? Yeah. And so he, he levitates the book up and floats it and he says, well, how do you explain this? Mm. And Bob says, like, well... Get back to yourself. That's, that's a really good question. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I can't. I can't. So he's back in the cell and then this is where, um, you know, the strangers arrive. They start putting the police to sleep. They go to the captain. At the same time, Mumstead's told, look, you did a good job. The captain wants to see you. So he heads off to the captain and you think it's a good little old-fashioned trickery of film. You're led to believe that he's going to walk in there and the bad guys are going to walk in. They're all going to suddenly be in there with the captain. But no, the bad guys walk in and, and what Bumstead has done is uh, taken Murdoch and <whistles> fled the building. Yes, indeed. A little sneaky. Sneaky, sneaky there, sorry. Um, and uh, they they go off and they confront Shaber. I think back at the, the bathhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Where else yeah. to confront a doctor but when he's half yeah, naked in a bathhouse? Yeah, it doesn't sort of really explain... Uh, well, I guess that um, old Bumstead is with him and knows that that's where he hangs out, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. But anyway, so... And this is where Doctor... Um, they're pretty pretty rough on old Doctor and they say... Um, you know, he tells them that, well, they work as a hive and they're all collective and they've been doing this experiment and... Basically revealing the the exposition of the story. Yeah, the whole plot. You know, that that idea that they have come to study humanity because they're trying to save their own race. Um, And then he also reveals that Murdoch is some sort of weird anomaly in the system that when he was trying to imprint him as a murderer, something went wrong, it didn't quite work out. He woke up too early and he knows more. Um, so then they, they, they force him to take him to Shell Beach. And I, I, lo- I really liked this because... I remember I re- watching this the first time. Yeah. Yeah. It was great in that it it pulled you along because this whole time it's Shell Beach, Shell Beach, Shell Beach. And you you want to see Shell Beach. Well, you think it must exist, right? Like, and it, it must be something special that maybe... Yeah. maybe like I, don't, I can't remember what I thought might be there yeah. the, when I first watched this, but you do. You, you have that hope because the the movie is so gr- gloomy and yeah, grim yeah, yeah, and yeah. depressing and the like I said the light doesn't seem to illuminate anything you know like no. this it's there's these lights are all on in all the houses but they're still full of shadows well yeah and i guess the thing is while you're watching this the first time you are feeling like i mean you you don't realize i don't think you've even realized at this point that the memory is totally implanted like the day before he was someone else yeah you know, like I, so, I, mean, I was expecting shell beach to be some sort of revelation yeah, no, yeah. like maybe not really be a beach but but maybe uh, i don't know some you know escape from yeah, this yeah like, yeah like out of the trap yes because we've yeah. already been told by uh you know polinsky uh who jumped in front of the train which we we kind of brushed over that but yeah, yeah that there is no way out and I, actually that seems kind of cool he goes oh oh why is it stopping here how do you get Shell Beach? Oh, that's the express. He gets off the train and a train comes past marked Shell Beach, shoots past him. Why didn't it stop? Oh, it's the express. Yeah. Okay, that's it. So where do yeah. we get on the express? Oh, it's an express. You can't, you you can't, can't. get on it's that express. on this station. You it's express from Shell Beach to some other Shell place Beach. you can't get to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I, I remember going, Shell Beach, I just, you want them to get there and you know they're being chased or watched and frustrated and they get on the canal and they row the boat along and they're yeah. going through the... You know the, the the passageway and all the rest of it, and they opens the door, and you see the blue of Shell Beach, and yeah. you sort of get fooled. Yes, let's let's face it, you kind of go hope. He's found it, yeah. 
and then there's no, it's just a crappy billboard. I'm like, because yeah. you know the way the the city changes and all the time. Yeah, clearly it must have been a billboard on the side of a building that got pushed up against here. Mm, definitely. And then of course they smash their way through that wall. Yeah, and it's space. It and is I, space. And I got to say that crushed my soul when I yeah. first watched this. It was just yeah. like, are you fucking kidding me? Yes. And that's when you realize that there, there is no earth. There is no, no. escape from it. Like Polinsky said, there is no escape. Yep. You've got to confront this and you can't because they're amazing aliens. Yeah. yeah. And and they do indeed literally have to turn around and confront them because there's Mr. Hand with a knife to his wife's throat and says, uh, you know, hey, you got to do this. And there's a bit of a scuffle and old Bumster gets knocked out into space along with one of the um, strangers. Mm-hmm. Which, again, convinces you that, yeah, you're not just up high in a building. No. You're literally on a spaceship. Yeah, well, I think from there, there is a big wide shot. Yeah, yeah, you you see a bit of this. You see this city in space and you see as well when their bodies float off that there's a bit of a shield or something Mm. as well and there's no sun like at that, you know, the angle they sort of shoot that at that this city is floating in space, but there's not, and it's not earth. You're not on planet earth at all, but it's a, it's a wonderful part of the story. And you always know that it has to happen because it's part of the up and down. It is. You've always, yeah. well, you don't always, there are, well, it's there worse. are exceptions, but yeah. you, you get that one where it's like, uh, it looks like it's smooth sailing to the end. And then you get that little turnaround where it's mm. like, actually, no, you haven't done enough yet. Yes. To yep. win the day. Well, I think at this point, right, like it was almost like, well, the detective, the wife and Murdoch are all on the same page. Yes. They go, so they go looking for Shell Beach. And even the doctor, who you're maybe not sure if he's good or bad, he's with them. So it's kind of almost like, okay, well, all the, all the people, all the pawns have come together now. They, they have more power. Uh, but hang on, the, the world they're in, like there's no way out. They're in, no. they're in, they're in, going back to that analogy earlier with the doctor and the rat. There's, we're, we're the rats. Like there's, we're in a maze. Like there's no way out. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's the best outcome that you're going to yeah, get? Yeah, yeah. You once you get out of the maze, you are now just in their territory anyway, which is space. Um, so yeah, the strangers bring Murdoch back. After that, to the beneath the city home, and, and they and stick Schreber in, in, in Schreber in that cage thing. That's so cool. It's, it's yeah. so again, that's a very Tim Burtony. It's almost it maybe Hellraisery sort of. Yes, thing. it is. It's in this weird squeaky <laughs> cage thing that yeah. you can just barely walk around in. Yeah, which again is what they do to rats sometimes, don't they? They put them in like a wheelchair or something. Oh, weird, you know? Goodness me! Like, it's like dee, 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 dee. you know, like you can't you can't get away. You're not getting away from any of these guys. No, I mean, I'm not. Les Trevor was really very much of an athlete to start no, with. No, the, here um, he is now in a cage. So yeah, the, he's there, and they want to imprint him with the collective memory, believing that Murdoch to be the combination of all their experiments, um, but. When they're going to do that, they're all like, you know. <laughs> that's the noise of it. I don't know how well that comes across. No, I don't. Know. I'm not too sure. But anyway, that's the, they're making these weird little creepy mouth sound. And uh, they instead, Schreiber um, betrays them and he injects them with that. You know, he deliberately takes what they've given him and he swaps it, doesn't he? He swaps it with the syringe that John mm. stashed for later. And we get into this like flash of memories of. The fire and the beach and the him growing up and it's all his memories, but Shaber is there telling him the truth. 
and yeah, and training him, and like he's practicing flying up the stairs. And yes, so yeah. it's like a whole lifetime worth of skill, skill in yeah. tuning. Yes, in a moment. Yes, so that when he opens his eyes, he's now super powerful. He is the and one. He is the one. Yeah, he's, he's become the one automatically. You know, so unlike poor Neo that had to actually do some training oh, gosh. and learn how to use the guns, you know, in thirty seconds. Here he's just straight into it. And so he just comes out, breaks free, starts fighting them with his powers. Yeah, and this is a this has got to be one of my favorite scenes where there's the, the big, weird wobbling blob of reality being twisted. Yes, and there's <laughs> you know that sort of flips around, and there's crap flying up everywhere, yeah. and there, there are guys getting sucked up out of the roof, and mm. Shreba goes flying up out of the roof, and he tumbles down somewhere later on, and yeah. there's you know the floor gets ripped and. It's it's a very cool. I, I, if they had a few more million dollars, that would have yeah. been even cooler. I think so. But it was pretty good. Uh, a bit inspired by Akira. We've seen Akira. Yes, if you've been yeah. playing along with us, you would have watched Akira as well. The yeah. end end fight of Akira is sort of similar to this. It is a weird Akira ending, isn't it? Really, in yeah, a way, the fight. Bit. And and this is one of the things that I really loved. As I said, that they actually went there. They they had the confrontation. Yes. They had this big, you know, epic battle of. Um, Minds, really? Yeah, reality bending. Yeah, you know who's this? Who's going to win the the human or the alien? Yes, and uh, well, we sort of know. And it ends up being the alien, and, uh, the human, because <laughs> <laughs> the alien, very crow like, ends up impaled. Yes. I think in the Jesus Christ pose. Yeah, as we get, and this is this is where I was going to touch a bit on the. Um, religious aspects of this film, and I don't, I don't, again, I don't know if Proyas intended this, uh, so I'm going to ask him when we get him on. Yeah. But this whole, in amongst this uh, is three biblical tales, which are sort of similar. So one is uh, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, where taking yeah. the forbidden fruit, gaining knowledge that they're not supposed to have, mm. and that's being exiled. So that's where you know you can see that is the other one is the fall of Lucifer. So the strangers are God. Like yes. They're the creators. They yep. make everything. They control everything. Yep, John yep, yep. is is one of their workers. Mm. They're one of their angels, if mm. you like, that they're experimenting with. Mm. And he then challenges that power and says, "Hey, you know, he does. I'm too good for this. This is this is not my life. This is not what I'm doing." And again, gets cast out. We have revelations occurring. Mm. And then the last one then is sort of this Cain and Abel arrangement where um, John and Mr. Hand are Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. Where Mr. Hand, who's actually the serial killing psychopath, is actually the favoured of God, Abel. Yes. John is Cain. That's very true. Murders him. Mm. Yes. And so it's just, it's, it's just, it has these sort of elements here of, uh, Classic of, parables, really. Of these sort of yeah, religious sort of stories mm. of discovery and falling from grace. It's and, very true. And and fighting against your creator. And uh, in the end, he wanders out onto Shell Beach because he recreates this world. Mm. And Shreba asks him, where are you going? Shell Beach. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I really got... And even having God then crucified yeah. on the post, you know, yes. like... Which then, of course, sets everyone free. Yeah. So you know, it's I I I don't know if this was intended to be I this think way. So. But yeah, yeah, I think so. I think there's connections. I mean, and sci-fi does this, right? Like sci-fi is a parable to 
the Bible and to these religious mm. stories and and then, you know, other prophecies and hypotheses and all that kind of stuff, right? Like so yeah, definitely I think it I think there is those connections. Like, you're not a, you're not reading into them. It's the same as the Matrix, right? Because like, there is so much like, you know, they're they're long trench coaty sort of things are sort of like those priest um vestments. Yeah, yeah. Which the I think it's Catholics are getting around in. Mm. Not so much these days, but certainly uh, you go watch uh, The Exorcist and the, the Catholic priest who rocks up to be The Exorcist. Well, they still do it's, in the church. They just, out in, you know, in public, they don't. And so public, it's only when they're going to, I don't know, talk, when they've got their torture support. someone to death. <laughs> or other things. Um, yeah, so, no, but I think I think there is those connections, definitely. I don't think, a filmmaker is always looking for those connections. Oh, yeah, but it's, it's beautiful. He does go out, the water... And then he, he, the sun rises for the first time, like, ever. Yes. Well, he sort of, like, turns the city, I think, a little bit that yeah, way, doesn't he? rotates and, the city. And- yeah, and the water, like, he thinks, well, why not have water? Like, the, there's water here. Why not just use it, use his powers yes. to bring the water? So he floods the outside of the city and it becomes like an ocean surrounding, a moat around the city. But it looks like an ocean from their perspective. And sure enough, he meets uh, Emma, who's now... Anna. And yeah, she's been transformed into and something And you get else. this moment which is not too dissimilar to a Spotless Mind. Mm. Uh, and there's a uh, another movie actually we did was The Discovery. Mm. You know, yeah. Sort of met. There's yeah, a similar yeah. kind of thing where he, they have a connection. Yeah, they have a connection. And it's like, oh, do you know where Cheryl Beach is? And she says, oh, I think that's it over there. And yeah. you look and as the audience you finally see Cheryl Beach. Yes, yeah. And yeah, it's... There is a bittersweet for me. It's like I'm, yeah. I'm, I was watching it going, oh, it's such a relief that, you know, he's got Shell Beaches. That's a symbol of salvation. Yeah. But at the same time, it's still just this dreadful. Like, how is this all going to end? Like, yeah. this, how does it evolve? How does it move on from here? Does he but create uh, a whole planet out of this? Or? Yeah, yeah. But I suppose that's the thing. Like, if, if he sets the intention from day one that it's just a human experience and we don't have those outside god-like creatures changing things every night and changing everyone's memory well then everyone is kind of born fresh from today like they live their life right like it's freedom it's freedom versus control same as the matrix really like if you want to be a free you know that's what happens at the end of the matrix is that not everyone is free but neo says i'm going to awaken everyone right and that's what then it's the same here like he's he's create he's now the one in charge he can just free everyone from that control from the aliens. Yes. So and I think, and as humans, we're always for being free, aren't we? Being we free. don't like the North Korean idea of being under the thumb. We do like the North Korean idea of being an absolute ruler, though. I'm not, no, we like. There's part of us that like it. <laughs> But de- but we sort of like we always want to we don't want to be on the we all suspect that we're not going to be the one at the top no we, and so we we want the freedom so that we'll we can all live be our somewhere life. down the bottom yes which, yeah yeah which is that that is pretty much pretty much the way it is are you telling me I'm not the one <laughs> you I want to be the one oh. you're a one yeah that's right so therefore we can't be the Korean dictatorship we've got to be a democracy where we're all the one or yes. A hive mind. Anyway, <laughs> let's get on this ladder thing. Let's we 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 could waffle on about hive minds all our lives. We could. 
and maybe that's what you want to talk about in your science part. But in the latter, for me, sorry, Dark City is something I think people should watch on my ladder pretty early on. So I've put it after District 9 and before Interstellar. So uh, I think if it's on the numbering system, it's about number nine or something. But yeah, it's, it's something that I feel is pretty damn powerful. I think it's an amazing, symbolically filmic, dark film, nor sci-fi. Um, you, you do take The Matrix a, a year or two later and it's there's some similarities. So anyone that enjoys, enjoys The Matrix, I think will also enjoy this. Um, and it's 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 also something that dives in quickly and doesn't, as you've talked about, like it, it kind of gets into the sci-fi pretty quickly. Uh, and I and I feel like overall, like yeah, it's pretty quick to the punch and pretty powerful in its meaning. So yeah, I it, think this is something that people should watch. If you do watch it on my list around District Nine, like District Nine's, yeah, it's aliens again, but it's a totally different perspective. It's also a very different stylized film. And then likewise with Interstellar, like it's a very polished, modern, you know, time travel, you know, a bit sad kind of film. Whereas this one's more your sort of upbeat what the humans can do against aliens. So I think that would fit in quite well if you if you watched it in that order. Well, I... How about I, yourself? <clears throat> well, I really liked putting it down there. I, I figured, where where would I need to watch this film? Like, after mm. watching certain films, where would I need to watch this one? Yeah. And so I really liked putting it in before Replicas. Okay. Because, yeah, Replicas is where Keanu reproduces his family and downloads all their memories into new bodies. Yes. Which I kind of saw a similarity there, but it's, okay. a, it's a very different take on that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's down there, number... In between... Freaks and replicas, mm. because I thought, you know what, that really shows a it's a it's a real left hand turn from mm. freaks, superheroes, German, into Dark City, mm. and then with that you go to replicas, which is a little bit less. Uh, it's still got a similar philosophy, but it's a little bit less dark. Yes, I suppose. So that's where I, that's where I put that one. Awesome. So cool. Well, yeah, follow along. Tell us what you think about our ladder choice and where you might put it on your ladder if you're following it along at home. So, sorry, what about the science? Are you going to talk about aliens? I hope you're going to be talking about aliens that are going to abduct us and take us away for anal... I mean, not anal probes. Take us away for mind-bending experiments. It's just mostly the probes, though, isn't it? Ah, oh, the probes, yeah. Um, the that's, probes. yeah. That's the we all want to be reason. probed by an alien. But Come I, on. I think there is there are more orifices <laughs> to explore. Oh, okay. I, okay, I, I like this. Teach I think me. They could Teach broaden me. their horizons. <laughs> I mean, what's the... Anyway. What's wrong with the ear canal? I mean, come on. What's the big deal with the bum? I mean, why do we all want that? Yeah, we did do Paul. So you can look at Paul and and, and (laughs) learn what the aliens really think about the anal probing. He asked that question, yes. No, I was looking at um, Nature vs. Nurture. Okay. Because uh, in a way, this is kind of what is tackled in this film to some extent, which is how much of our behavior and the aliens are exploring this. They keep going, Mm. well... Let's change the memories. Let's change, yeah, you know, these things. So they're changing uh, the nurture mm. side of things, and but not the nature. So they're going. Definitely, we'll give new memories with a different upbringing, and we'll put you in your your poor today. Now, what happens if you've got slightly different memories, but you're really rich? Yes, and we'll see what happens. 
And we can see then we've got uh, John Murdoch. They tried to inject him with a killer. Turns yeah. out that he's just not a killer. Mm. You know, and there's also this, this love connection with Emma slash Anna. There's like, well, how how does that come about? There's, there's something more than just the memories bring up. Yeah. So, and this is obviously something that has been of vast interest to us humans throughout history. Yes. Is are you destined based on your heredity uh, or, or the heredity you receive to be a certain way or can mm-hmm. you change? Yeah. And there's, there was an interesting documentary brought out, which I, I only learned about when I was re- researching for tonight, mm-hmm. called uh, Three Strangers... Called Big Brother? No, Three Strangers Meet in a Bar. What oh. the heck is it called? This is this the one about the twi- the triplets? Yes, the triplets. And they, uh, I've not watched this, but my wife has watched this. This is a mind blowing documentary. She said, "Yeah, so, so, jeez, oh, three identical strangers." That's yes, that's it. That's three it. identical yeah. strangers. So the basic story is this guy, it's totally creepy, Doctor Neuberg, <laughs> uh, Neumann, Neumann. Oh, jeez, I better get his name right because. Let's call him a stranger, <laughs> an alien stranger. Well, it for was what he really, does. It's really interesting though because yeah. and I totally get where he's coming from. I don't really agree with his methods, perhaps, but uh, anyway. So this this fellow, Doctor Neumann. Let's call him what does Neumann. He do? What does he do? Sorry. What does he do? Well, he discovers. He goes. You know what? I really want to study this whole thing: nature versus nurture, mm. DNA versus. So let's um, kidnap some babies. Ranging. So he found. Well, <laughs> to be fair, he found no, triplets who are orphans yeah. already. Yeah. Uh, and then he went, "Okay, this is great. Triplets. They're identical triplets. So we'll put them into different families. So we'll put one in a working class family, mm. one in a middle class family, one in an upper class family. Mm. And the the controversial thing here is, first of all, he split up triplets. Yeah, triplets. <laughs> Secondly. He then didn't tell the families yeah, that no there were one, siblings. Yeah, there's no so, experiment. So basically, going on. no one knew that they were triplets. Yes, because part of the experiment would have to be you can't know that. Yep. And yep. they told them, "Oh, we're just seeing what the outcome of different orphans are." Yeah. And so they followed them throughout. Um, you know, they're growing up from probably about what was it about eighteen years or something. Mm. They followed them up until 1980, when it just so happened that this uh, one of the triplets was heading along uh, at his college where he just started, uh, you know, schooling, university, whatever it is they call these things yep. in um, the States. And he rocked up and someone said, oh, yeah. you're... Yeah, he, he was, he's, this guy Robert. Like okay, you're a mistaken identity kind of thing. Robert, he's, he's, he's walking along there, people slapping on the back and greeting him and waving, waving to him and... He's like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> Until he meets Eddie. Eddie, who studies at the same college. They, they bump into each other. They've, they've got the same hair. That, that they're they look identical. the same, yeah. They're, and he's like, what the, what the hairy heck? Yeah. And so Robert like, goes back to his house and says, what's, what's the story here? Uh, you know, I was adopted. I was adopted. Mm. And so they, they tracked down the hospital records and said, well, What's going on? They managed to get it unsealed, whatever, and found out that, yes, they were um, twins, at mm. least. You know, they had the same parents. Yeah. Because it didn't mention that they were, they were triplets. Uh, and so the, the news went 
out into the world, the newspapers and, and TV and stuff yeah, saying, his hey, look, his twins reunited. And there's a third dude sitting there going, they look exactly like me. <laughs> and I'm adopted. What the hell? Yeah. So he gets in touch and they go, you know, it they, they go, goes around to Eddie's parents' place again. And so Eddie's, Eddie's mum's just going, there's, there's just all these people looking like my son coming <laughs> out of the woodwork. They're just, how many more are there? You know, like, yeah, oh. Yeah. And so it turns out it was just the three of them. And so, yeah, they made a they made a big deal of it, and they, they looked so similar. Like, there's there's some photos online you can check it out. They look very yeah. similar. They they appeared on shows. They they made an appearance in Madonna's movie Desperately Seeking Susan. They mm. opened a restaurant together. Yeah, uh, called Triplets, and uh, yeah, wow, like they had so much in common. And then later on, of course, the 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 restaurant closed I, I didn't get with it failed and they each have as this article says because i haven't watched the film i want to i want to watch that now mm. very different life outcomes yes which probably more you know brings in a question well how identical were they really yeah 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 and and so so that's a wonderful study and, and they've done a lot there's been a lot of studies of twins where they have not and it, the the thing is, this is so uh, controversial, this study, it's never been released. It's sealed. Yeah. The results and the study are sealed until 2066, yes. which presumably is definitely after everyone involved is dead. Dead, yeah. And yeah. because, and I don't know, probably fair enough, like, uh, it shouldn't have, that it was pretty mean. Yeah. Like, really. Oh, Manipulating these lies. I mean, it wasn't too cruel, I suppose, because it's not like you actually harmed them. Mm directly type of thing but anyway um but i mean it's one of those things isn't it like taking children away we we learned that the hard way in australia yeah <laughs> so. so so you, you get to ask it's it's a really interesting question is like if if i was raised differently mm. would i have different outcomes how much of where i am now is a factor of my dna my genetics yeah that's right and as it turns out across many studies and so forth, and this hasn't been settled by any means, mm. but it looks like it's at roughly 50-50. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes for some diseases, for example, genetics plays a lot stronger cause. Like, yep. you know, like, like breast cancer, there's a genetic pattern which mm. gives you like an 80% chance or something crazy. Yeah, with, well, with actually more, yeah, not just breast cancer, but a yeah, lot of cancers. There's, there's yeah. a bunch of other diseases yeah. as well, but then there are other ones which, which don't. They mm. have a look at like... Um, uh, autoimmune rheumatism and yes. so forth, yeah. not particularly related. Heart yep. disease, not particularly related. Yep. Far more nature, and and this has gone in with um, uh, some of the studies in on what's called epigenetics, which is how mm. your existing DNA is expressed differently based on environmental conditions. Yeah, right. And so, so if you have the genetic markers for uh, breast cancer, for example. Mm which are strong you know, indicators that you will get breast cancer, yep. it only, it's still not 100% because those genes may never be activated. The things that go wrong might not get activated. They get activated by coming in contact with various proteins, hormones, signaling messages, which happen. I, goodness knows which ones they are for breast cancer. I think if we knew, we would have the answer. Yeah. But... Uh, it, and that's that's the case. So you can get two identical twins, but if they're raised separately, and they've mm. noticed particularly with uh, poverty is one of these ones. Poverty absolutely wrecks a person's 
genetic potential. Yeah, like, right. Ed, so this is so someone who is raised in poverty, even uh, and I, I've I've lost the reference but even after becoming wealthy and well off, has uh, worst markers for for all these diseases and mm. health problems, and will have a shorter life expectancy. Yeah, someone right. who is raised in you know abundance, mm-hmm. and this doesn't mean raised super rich, but you know comfortable yeah. they got the right food they yep. get good education so forth even if later in life they fall they become homeless you know street people who are looking out for themselves yep because that's the only resources they have they still don't have the problems of the mm. uh, the poverty so wow and they've seen this with with twins yep the twin is is raised in the in poverty mm-hmm. and one raised in some sort of affluence and yeah there, there's a the remarkable difference in their quality of life yeah, and their life expectancy yeah. and their chances of going to prison, for example, and their chances mm. of um, having a sex- successful career or children, yeah. and all those sorts of things. Yep, yep, so there, yep. there are these strong um, markers or, or, yep. or strong indicators from the environment. And uh, now my favorite story, I, I can't for the life of me remember if I brought this up before, but there's this guy, James Fallon, not the Jimmy Fallon yet that you might know from TV. <laughs> yes, yeah. Is this another fellow? Is a Dr. James Fallon. Yeah. He is a neurologist, <laughs> neuroscientist, mm-hmm. and he was studying a bunch of brain scans because he was looking at um, a number of things. For example, psychiatric conditions and Alzheimer's and so forth. And he is doing, he's going, yeah, are right. there, his, hypothesis, his, his question that he was studying was, are there physical markers in brains that show like a psychopath? Can yeah, you, right. can you yeah, do brain yeah. scans of someone and say, you're a psychopath, you're not. You're a dharma. Yeah, because this would be handy. I mean, you know, someone who turns up to court and says, oh no, look, I should have reduced responsibility because I've mm. got this problem. And then you get scanned and you go, well, no, you don't. Turns out you're just a dick. <laughs> you can, yeah, but no straight shit. away, my butt. Sorry, is it's this movie, isn't it? It's, this, is this it movie. like you could implant someone with the genetics of? Ah, and this is where it gets exciting. Yeah, this, so this James, is where it gets weird, right? James like, found this is where it gets. This is the plot twist. Yeah, because he's looking at his Alzheimer's um, screening, mm. a different thing, and uh, he's used members of his own family. Yep, because they all volunteered. Yeah, you know, like it's starting a, it's, point. <laughs> it's an easy starting point, and he's going through it, and he finds one of them. He goes, "Oh, this one must be mixed in there." No, this is Pilot's son. This family member of mine is clearly a psychopath. Yeah, according to my other research. <laughs> Don't let them near none are on their own. And so he goes, uh, "I kind of have to know who that is because we need to talk to them." Yeah, like you know, it's same as he, had he found clear signs of Alzheimer's, he'd yeah. go, "Well, actually, no, I've got to." Yeah, yeah. Help yeah. So he unblinds, yeah, ruins his experiment basically, gets it up, finds out it's his own brain scan. <laughs> so, and he looks and goes, I'm not a psychopath. Yeah. He goes and talks to his family and says, Yeah, I've got this brain scan here. It says I'm a psychopath. His family went, Oh, yeah. And he said he was a bit disappointed that they weren't as shocked as he was. <laughs> but, yeah, they would recount stories of where. Uh, you know, he was supposed to go to a funeral and he's like, oh, yeah, but the game's on. Yeah. yeah well, this is your favorite, you know, uncle or whoever it was that had died. You know, this, he <laughs> helped raise you. It's like, yeah, I know, but I don't want to miss watching the game live. Yeah, yeah. It's not, no, no good recorded. And so he's, re- he's recalling some of these things where he goes, 
Yeah, okay. Did a bit more study in there and found out that he, not only was he brain a psychopath, but he also had some of the genetic markers for increased violence and aggression. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but I've never been in a fight. I've mm. never been arrested. Mm. You know, I, I've never murdered anyone uh-huh. or, or or committed violence more than, you know, you, you would normally do like in a school round sort of situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give, push and shove or, or shout at someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, he, he went, well, what's going on? Here's the extra twist. He was previously a genetic determinist. So he, he was of right. the opinion that more of your life and personality was determined by your DNA than otherwise. Mm. And so he's confronted with direct evidence that that's not true. Yep. And he's gone, okay. And so he started looking into these things. And yeah, sure enough, his aggression, he's quite competitive. You know, mm. He doesn't let his grandkids win when yeah, he plays yeah. games. Uh, he's a bit of a dick at sports because he wants to, you know... Always win. Win and the rules and all that sort of thing. Probably in his job, he wants to be a high achiever. And he doesn't mind a bit of an argument. Yeah. So he says, so so my combative nature is more the fact that I enjoy like an argument. Yeah. And I want to win the argument. Mm. Uh, and so he's going, okay, so yeah, I'm a bit of a bit of a douchebag at times and all that sort of, but overall... Not a... And he looked back and he goes, Dharma, well, Dharma. The advantage he had was... There was his, his parents in trying to conceive him had a, a series of miscarriages. Mm. And so when he came along, he actually got you know, an exceptional amount of attention and love because he was like their special child right. who, who had beaten the odds you know, and had yeah. come out. And so he says, well, it seems that like, you know, and, and they, were, they weren't a, a, a poor family. You know, mm-hmm. like, yep. Again, they weren't, they weren't like fabulously wealthy. Middle class. But, but they were solidly middle class, yep. weren't particularly wanting for anything. Uh, and he got plenty of love, and he goes, "Well, clearly that's had an effect because yes. the way his psychopathy expresses itself is not is is you know less antisocial mm-hmm. than if he'd been brought up in you know a, a, an abusive household with more than one drug addict and had to live part of his life on the street mm-hmm. dealing with the sort of things you have to confront in those situations." Definitely. Uh, so I, I just. I love this story because it really does show that there's something more. And the little bit at the end here is he's decided to to, to improve himself. He right. says, you know, I, I really think about other people's feelings and I really try to moderate, you know, my aggressive sort of competitive tendencies and so forth. Mm. Um, but... Don't be confused into thinking that it's because I've become a nice guy. It's <laughs> not. It's just I I want to be able to tell everyone and show everyone how they've got it wrong. Yeah. And that right. I can beat these. You know? <laughs> I can beat the test. I, I can be a psychopath and be nice. Yeah. Like so that in itself is kind of that psychotic behavior of he's he's going to like deep down he still wants to like argue and shout and not care about people, but he knows it's not going to be a helpful behavior. Mm. Anyway, so that's that's my little story I want to bring up, which is yeah, definitely. So look, he's got he's got a book out called "There's the Psychopath Inside," and there's a, I watched a um, little short documentary on him as well, mm-hmm. and I just I just found that whole story amazing. It is. In it's an interesting one, that one, because he's he's presenting in this documentary. Mm-hmm. So you know you can see him acting, and when he reveals that he's a psychopath, you kind of go, oh. 
But I was expecting him to be, you know, crazy. <laughs> but he's not. He's, you know, uh, as as in his own words, he's he's a bit of a dick at times, but um, you know, not appallingly so. It it is a funny thing because have you ever done those like personality tests? You know, and you and I know that there's extremities of them, and there's you know there's that famous IQ test and the African American IQ tests and stuff like that, but. You know, just when you're saying all this, it makes me think of those like tests where you fill out a bunch of answers and then they kind of say, oh, you're this kind of personality. And they, you know, there's variations of that. They might get extremely, you know, business minded or it might be more about, you know, general personality traits or whatever. But it does make me think that, like, you know, did his test, is his test really proving a psychopath or is it just the way that that test is put together that therefore. Hey, I'm a psychopath. Uh, you'd probably have to um, research his yeah. his write ups, but because I'm always interested in that. Yeah, that, that, it, like what is your actual testing of a and psychopath? He, and here's here's <laughs> the next bit that's interesting. I think is astrology. Mm, How I is like. that different? Because that says that I'm a Virgo. Yeah, and a Virgo has these traits. These traits. And you sort of think, but hold on. I've got to be more than just oh, of that. Course. Yeah, yeah. Like there can't just be twelve people in the world. No. <laughs> so I've got to have my own experiences. Yeah. But you know what? Really, good? and and I'm tremendously skeptical because yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's astrology and it's yeah. sort of all nonsense. But the the really sad thing is, of course, when I read through all of the star signs and I'm going mm. to pick which one actually does sound the most like me. Yep. I'm a Virgo. Yeah. There you go. Like that's what really annoys the crap yes. out of me the most is that <laughs> I I just yeah I know astrology is nonsense in its spoken form or its presented mm. form. But uh, but again, but I am a Virgo. Yeah, but again, it's one of those things that because I did this for my wife many moons ago. Now it's like we got some connection she had, but we got like a report on that yeah. for ourselves individually that was done to your birth date. Oh, one of those, your time what are they called the, the mapping or yeah whatever, so. and it was actually like you know this 10 page report yes and to be honest like it still had a lot of like I'm a Libran and it, and and it, the thing with me with Libran is of course making a decision is you know Libran's always deciding and take long times and that's true about me like that trait is true you can go into the Libran thing and there's other things that are not I don't align with, but that particular... So it's exactly the same. Like, I agree. Like, I can look at all the star signs and go, that's me. I'm a Libran, right? But when we got this report, suddenly it was like these specifics where you're like, oh, it's not not just that sort of vague, oh, a Libran struggles to make... It was actually some specific things that you're like, oh, that yeah, that is me. Oh, that one, that too, yeah. And you're like, but that was a... Yeah, like a chartered thing, but you're thinking, well, how does that work? Like, well, that's you, why so I am I say... just a collection? Was I born this way? Like, was I actually born this way? Well, like, that's how why I say it's that? not that. Um, it's not that these uh, astrological, like you said, charting and, yeah. and descriptions are necessarily wrong. They're not necessarily, you know, bunk. Yeah, the professed way that they come to it. Is, is not, I don't believe that to be true in the slightest. I think it's far more likely that some very um, sensitive and empathic people have over time come up with this astrology and just through observation and mm. recognizing people and working with people and, and absorbing different types of personalities and, and then yeah. categorizing. And this could have been a 
an unconscious or a conscious process of mm-hmm. categorizing and they try to make sense of, you know, how is it that I know that um, this sort of person that I meet is going to have these other sort of traits? And it, and it's, from my point of view, it's basic, um, what you call intuition. It's, it's like, you know, that, that ability for our, us to take in lots of pieces of information and then find meaning and patterns mm. without consciously knowing what those means or patterns are. Mm. You just know there is. Yeah. And that gets refined and then someone starts coming up with, oh, it has it must have to do with where your stars were and, and, and you can make it really complicated. Yeah. The reality comes down to is basically, I reckon some very, very sensitive people, uh, and this is with all the various star signs, you know, the, the Chinese, mm. Australians and so forth, have discovered that there are certain commonalities yeah. of people and you've got to think that's going to be true if we say about 50% is um, nature, yeah. which is your DNA, then you must be able to at least draw some broad categories around people based on their family lines or their, their large, you know, portions of their ancestry and so forth. Yeah, that's very true. Maybe some of that then corresponds to how you get born, like when you become, yeah. you know, you, when your mother becomes pregnant could well be related to her DNA. So the time of year and her DNA and time of year and your father's DNA, where they cross over, that's going to determine the time of year you get born. So there's going to be some relationship. There does, yeah. So you could imagine then, and that's why these things, the descriptions tend to be a bit general because yeah. you can only be a bit general. Like there's yeah. seven or eight billion of us around the place. You can't list every single person. You know, there's, there's more than one person born on a single day. Uh, you know, Two well, kids born at the same time, two hospital rooms next to each other. Are they the same person? No, no. No. But some portion of them probably is. Yes. When you take into account they're born in the winter, they're born in a particular hospital, for example. So it was uh, maybe it was a private hospital, so maybe they're of wealthier parents. And I guess um, the thing is going, I mean, with any of them, and even what I was saying about personality tests, like, again, they're generic statements that are specific enough that then we draw conclusions yeah, that's the on. Other like, that's yeah. the other side of it, right? Like, because it's the same as like going to see a, and I'm again, I'm not against or for these people, but you know, like a, um, like a oh, what are they called? Like a, a reader, tarot a, reader, yeah, or a tarot reader, right? Just for example, or you know, someone that reads the future or looks at you and reads your palms or whatever, you know, like, and again, I'm not against these people, but um, do they say statements that are generic enough and then you make interpretations from that? And are they looking at you? Are they just extremely talented in the ability to kind of read a person mm. versus another person that can't really read a person as easily. So they can just kind of look and understand by looking at your face, you would be in these kind of categories, you know, and, and even the way that then you respond to the way they interpret you, you know, so that would explain why when I went to that uh, reader, she said, ah, you escaped from a zoo. <laughs> yes. Clearly. Or, or you got and you some say, sort of ter- you say no, and they go, yeah, it's a metaphoric suit. Is it some sort of terrible acid damage? I just like help me out here because because your face is mentally. There's mashed a reason up. you do podcasts. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason right. you do podcasts. Okay, so so let's move on from that. And uh, but that what, is an interesting point uh, on science of yeah it, the way that we work and that nature versus nurture, which the aliens were experimenting in dark uh, city they were looking at 
purely at the nurture side. Yeah. And not taking into account the fact that we are quintessentially human. Yes. And I, I love this idea of like a, you know, we, we've had Independence Day because that was 1996, I'm pretty sure by memory. You know, and we have these stories, you know, in the past, uh, there's many, many sci-fi films about aliens coming and trying to destroy the planet or, you know, come in, the body snatchers come here and overtake our bodies and, you know, like those sorts of robots taking over, you know, from alien space, species. <laughs> but this idea is that, well, at some point this... You know, even occupation, actually, before I say, but like occupation, you know, like an invading force that need to take over the planet. You know, the yeah. planet is the resource they want. Whereas here, you have an alien species that is dying out and they've decided to, hey, these humans are surviving okay. <laughs> they obviously saw that they were far superior than us. We're dying out. Let's grab a bunch of them and just experiment on them, see what their magic formula is. Yeah, see what their, their special tuning is. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? How are they surviving all this time? Sorry, is it nature? Or is it nurture? We don't. Is know. it genetics? Is it their brains? So we just need to kind of like experiment on them for. We don't know how long they've been doing this for. We don't know how long oh, the yeah. plan for them to keep doing it is. <laughs> like, it's so it's a cool idea for a story that you come in on this moment in the film where one human is sort of finally broken free of it a little bit, you know, and then mm. causing a fracture in their experiment and they're trying to control that and they can't, you know. And it, so it's very interesting, I reckon. It's a great idea. And they don't really solve it, do they? I mean, is it nature or nurture for John Murdoch? He was never obviously going to be a murderer. Well, that's, but well, that's like, a funny thing because he learns his tuning through the memory implants. Yeah. So he may have been genetically capable of it, mm. but it was his environment that allowed him to do it. Yeah, and then, like, as humans, are we... Like, did he learn that because the aliens... Uh, like, the, the nurture, like, w was it because he was abducted by those aliens that can tune? So, as humans, we've, like, learnt by proxy. We wouldn't have learnt that if we just stayed here on Earth with other humans. Yeah, I, I, there's... Oh, but, that's another thing I want to Like, rats this. that we experiment on. Like, you could take a rat and, like, give them some sort of superpower, right? Oh, like, you know, like... Another, another episode, maybe I'll talk about the... <laughs> The Akashic Record and, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, Resonance. Oh, gosh, this, this idea that when one person does something for the mm. first time, it makes it easier for everyone else. Yeah, yeah. And you get sudden launches ahead. So, for example, the TV was invented by two different people with no connection to each other at yeah. about the same time. And mm. there's, there's a number of these situations I won't go into it, but it's it's really an interesting Ants and idea. a Bug's Life, those two movies, pretty much the same time. I mean, how the hell does that happen? How's I mean, that? geez, you know, well, just expanding speaking, our human consciousness. <laughs> speaking of movies, what's up next week? Okay, we are shifting tangents to Edge of Tomorrow. Another Tom Cruise. It's another Tom Cruise. This guy's going to be a favorite on Spade. We've got to get him on one day. I, I, well, I do like his movies, <laughs> I have to say. I, I don't... I don't know about the press and the media that he gets. It does seem uh, like he would be difficult to interview. Oh, not for us. He'll be great with us. But we'll have him on. We'll have old Cruisy Boy. He, do he does get himself into some good movies. Yeah. The a couple stinkers, but most of them pretty good. The sci-fi ones are good. Yes. yes <laughs> so we'll stick with these sci-fi films. So that's the one if you want to kind of keep up with us and, and, and stay up to date with us. Because there'll be spoilers. There will be spoilers on that. So Edge of Tomorrow uh, and tonight was all about Dark City. So hit us up. Let us know what you thought about 
what we talked about with Dark City, the science, the film stuff, the darkness, the bleakness, the film noir. The, the, the what, religious connotations. The religious connotations. Tell us if we're right, we're wrong, or just what your interpretation was and where it maybe sits on your ladder if you're playing at home. Uh, you can find us on our website, spacebrains.com.au. You can get us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, basically just Space Brains Productions. Remember to make your own sci-fi and enter the film festival. You will find that on Film Freeway. And from there, sorry, go forth and don't be abducted by aliens. Don't be abducted by aliens. <laughs> so. See ya. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye.